Calderon. I am Hunter Mobley. And I'm Drew Dietzen. And if that intro was any indication, this is going to be a sparse episode. <laughs> <laughs> Today we're just catching up on some shows that we've been watching yeah. and a couple movies that we've gotten to catch. So Overboard, I Feel Pretty, Yeah, Rampage. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, sexist. <laughs> yeah, because of all the women you know, in Rampage. Let's just talk about Avengers again for like two hours. Oh, okay. okay no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, honestly, quick retrospective though. I I like it more. The more I think about it, the more I'm very impressed with that movie. Like, I you can you can we can like complain it doesn't follow the rules of movies or whatever, but it was just good. Like, Colin said, I think he said something really true, which is like everything on screen for the most part I cared about. Yeah, and it like was coherent, which is so. Like, I mean, this kind of sounds like a low standard, but like in addition to everything else going on, that's incredible. Yeah, I think that's the biggest feat is that with this movie, I, I don't know who said it, but someone said that this is like the movie where they cash the check. Yeah. Like yeah. every single other movie, it's like they're kind of dropping little hints at the bigger picture and like what they're trying to achieve with this. But with this movie, it's like if you haven't been keeping up with these movies. Oh, like this is where yeah. it matters. This is where it matters also, if you're in or not. I, I want to give some more airplay to Colin's great joke that he said on. on <laughs> did you guys hear their episode? Uh, uh, I, I what, what was the joke? What, what do you call Thanos's asshole? <laughs> Thanos. Okay. <laughs> Shout out to the Snyder Colin podcast. Yeah. I literally, right, right when I heard that, I texted him because I was laughing so hard. It's so stupid. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get to what we've been watching. I want to start off by talking about a movie I saw last night. Um, it's called You Were Never Really Here. It is a small little movie uh, starring Joaquin Phoenix. And it's directed by Lynn Ramsey, okay. who is a female director. I think she wrote it, too. True. Um, and she did this movie, We Need to Talk About Kevin which I've never seen, and now I really want to because I loved this movie. Okay, See, I, I haven't seen this, but I want to say off the bat, I'm a massive Joaquin Phoenix fan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think that guy is so underrated because he has like kind of attitude issues in the past. He is one of the, I think he's one of our top five working actors today. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. And I, I think that he um, he's definitely like a chameleon, but what you're getting at of him kind of being really strange, yeah. a, lot of he's that, a, weirdo. a lot of that was kind of him just trying out weird method acting yeah exactly things. he's a method guy i mean and he has a weird life he grew up in like some kind of cult or something really yeah oh, his uh his brother died really young his brother was like a young starlet when they were both actors like really young and he died he has a very interesting life 
His performance in The Master is one of my favorite things I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. It's, it's Have you seen crazy. The Master, Hunter? I actually haven't. A, I own the Blu-ray, but I just haven't got a chance you to watch poser. it. poser. <laughs> I don't own the Blu-ray, and I've seen it. You need to see that, because that's one of those movies that just, it sticks with you. It's, it's an, yeah, I know. I, I know I need to just get I around think to... It's, I think it's somomehow underrated. Like... I don't know. Yeah, when, I mean, all PTA's PTA. discography. Yeah, I know. Like, I think filmography. I just feel like it was right before the internet started going crazy for PTA mm-hmm. and for like that type of movie in general. Yeah. Well, there is there is a PTA link here with uh, "You Were Never Really Here" because Johnny Greenwood did the score for mm. the Master hey. and Phantom Thread, and right. "There Will Be Blood," and now he did the score for so, "You Were Never um, Really Here." Yeah. So tell us about the movie. Um, this is an excellent film. Like this is like a really strong eight to a nine, light nine for me. Um, it works on every level from the cinematography, which is beautiful to, of of course I could talk forever about Joaquin's performance. Like he is a hulking murderer in this movie, (laughs) but there is a slight hint of the sensitivity of, of Theodore from her Mm. because we, you get an insight into his his personal life. And, uh, you know, a lot of people have been comparing this to taxi driver. So just kind of rethread that same, uh, kind of story of of the de niro character going after and saving this this young girl and kind of being taken on this like righteous heroic role um but it's very different from taxi driver it's not nearly as good as the scorsese classic i like, mean yeah taxi driver is like one of the greatest yeah, films yeah, of all time. That, so yeah it's hard even, to kind of compare it's like a 10 out of 10 classic yeah. um but this movie's still really good and it even though it kind of does have a lot of similarities it's trying to tell a kind of different story i mean we know from you you guys have seen taxi driver right yeah yeah like of course de niro is a veteran in that film from vietnam so it's kind of like that same thing of this guy who was a marine and is suffering from like extreme ptsd and i think that you were never really here kind of puts you a little bit more in that headspace of the ptsd because in Taxi Driver, like De Niro, we we don't we don't really know if he is or not suffering from PTSD. He's more just kind of disaffected and disconnected. Right. And it's more looking, about his like sociopathic. Like, yeah. He's just looking for meaning. He's just he's just kind of like a, a lost soul that's searching for something. I think Joaquin's character isn't really looking for something. He's kind of given up on that. And he's like constantly dangling, dangling himself on the edge of death, like he he feels like he is so close to dying, and the violence in this movie, the violence that he commits, you get the numbness of it all. You get how numb he is to committing this violence, and that is, I I can't really think of a movie that does violence how this film did it, because hmm. you know we're we with american cinema with hollywood like violence is so common you know we we were just talking about avengers that's a movie that it it has like cartoon violence and how many movies do we see every year where it's just violence left to right and it's so all over the place yeah it's not as as taboo as sex or violent or uh language um but this movie the way it, it tackles violence is it's really shocking in how like unglorified the violence is it's kind of like on the edges of the frame sometimes they cut away from the violence they don't dwell on it or sometimes you see like the aftermath of it so it's kind of sad and a little gross um but yeah i i i I really recommend this movie but only if you're willing to 
put up with a movie that kind of takes its time to get to where it's going Mm -hmm. because at about the halfway mark, um, I didn't think I was going to like the movie. I was like, huh, I don't really get where this is going. It's really slow. um, And it's not really, it's a lot of like quiet, long sequences without much dialogue, Mm. really pretty cinematography. But as it starts to get to the ending, it really kicked into another gear and it just, it paid off so well. I really love where this movie ended up and it really makes you think and it makes you think about like just the horrors of this world and like the the kind of shit that people have to deal with and shit like dark shit that we don't even are exposed to at all in our lives. Um, and then of course, going back to Johnny Greenwood's score, it kind of highlights all of that and just puts you in that chaotic, like moody, moody uh, tone and, and place. Um, the along with the editing is just really, really dark and, and somber. Um, I this is a movie that's not. It doesn't have that much hope. Although I will say, if you think back to the ending of Taxi Driver, that ending is very ambiguous. And you can't, you're kind of left to wonder what actually happens in the end of that movie. Mm. And I'm curious to to get your reactions if you guys check this movie out as to what you think happens in the ending of You're Never Really Here. Because like Taxi Driver, it kind of has that same sort of ambiguous ending. All right. okay. And it kind of, you know, with Taxi Driver, you get a happy ending and a sad ending. Mm. And I think this movie kind of does the same thing. So there's tons of comparisons to be drawn between the two movies, even though they're very different. So it's it's funny seeing like people comparing yeah. the films. It's really cool. All right. I, I'm, I'm I can't probably going to check it out. Yeah, honestly. I can't wait to check it out. I'm hoping that uh, I'll see it by next week's pod so then we can kind of talk about this along with Tully, the other movie that yeah, came out Yeah, the Jason Reitman film. Um, so, yeah, I really can't wait to check this out. I've heard very mixed things from it, which kind of sounds like that's you understand why a lot of the negative yeah. criticism that's coming yeah, towards it, the movie. It's but, slow and, and it, but that's, it, it doesn't really grab you. Which I I enjoy movies yeah. like that, so I, I I'm really excited to check it. It out. asks you to be very patient, okay? You know, and and I I respect that when a movie does that, when it doesn't really reveal itself into a certain point, which kind of leads into the next movie we're going to talk about, um, Ghost Stories. Yes, and this is a movie that I uh, I saw as well as you, um, and we have different opinions on this movie. Actually, yeah. Again, this um, is a movie that doesn't reveal itself until the end, but it, the way it's structured is really interesting. It's it is three, really interesting. It's and like three vignettes. Yeah, it is. Um, it's a little bit of kind of like a throwback to classic anthology horror, but they all kind of tie in together. Basically, the pr- the main premise, without, giving, without spoiling anything, is this follows a guy who's a psychic buster, basically proves that like psychics are bullshit and that the supernatural is kind of bullshit, and he has his mentor comes along and tells him that he basically kind of went insane because there are these three cases that he could never figure out. So this main person who you follow, who's played by um, one of the directors of this film, this film is directed by two people, um, Andrew Nyman and Jeremy Dyson. And Andrew Nyman actually plays the main actor in yeah, this film. And uh, it's Professor actually, it's, it's based on a play that yeah. he also wrote. Yeah. And it, it was an English play, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, but um, the way that this movie is structured, so you have the setup and then it follows each of these three cases and they're kind of 
told through almost like three short films, kind of. Um, and it's not until the end that these things kind of all tie together. And this ending is very polarizing. We really can't talk about it yeah. without spoiling the movie. I know... Well, what I, did you think overall about the movie? So, overall, um, kind of a little bit similar to what you were saying with You Were Never Really Here. I thought, like, halfway through the movie, I was like, you know, I'm really enjoying this. This isn't, like, great or anything, but it's just, like, it's really, like, gripping, fun horror movie. By the end of this movie, I loved it. Like, I really think that the way that everything comes together mm. is very oddly satisfying Ernest, in a way that you don't expect. See, Ernest, I think you, I remember you saying you didn't like the yeah. ending. Yeah, so the, the movie takes a huge risk and it's kind of wrapping up, what, final 10, 15 minutes? Yeah. It takes a huge risk and I really appreciate it for that and I love that there's a, movies out there that are willing to be this weird and creative but I thought that it did not execute it well at all. Like the See, idea I, of what the movie does is awesome. I, I love the concept. I couldn't disagree with you more just because I think that if it would have been handled slightly differently, I don't think it would have worked for me at all. But I think the way that it all, everything kind of builds and comes together is in such an excellent way. It reminds me of some of my favorite episodes of the Twilight Zone, actually, where as soon yeah. as I was done watching Similar this vibes, movie, yeah. I immediately want to wanted to go back into the next showing and see it again. Like, that's okay. exactly how I felt while watching it. Um, Drew, I really hope that you get a chance to, find, to watch this movie. Yeah, I don't know where the fuck I'm going to see it, but... Just you know, fucking illegally download it. I don't know. Okay. Hey, we don't condone that. Yeah. We don't want our sponsors I mean, quote to quote unquote, that. illegally download yeah. that. Chibani, give us that sponsorship. All right. So, give yeah, that's that's Ghost Stories. Find it nowhere. Um, <laughs> we saw it at our local, local uh, art house theater. Yeah. And if you don't it, have a local art house theater, don't listen to our fucking <laughs> podcast, you idiot. I actually, I, I do think that it's going to start getting a little bit of a wider release. I Martin saw Freeman is in it. Yeah, Martin Freeman's in it. Um. I saw the poster for Ghost Stories outside of the Regal uh, Winter Park Village. So it might. So I think that it is going to start getting a little bit of like a slower kind yeah, of. Yeah, it's a it's a rollout. really low budget film. Oh so yeah, it is. I really appreciate some of the creative choices that are made to to like really scare you because there's some sequences in this movie that are fucking terrifying. Yeah, they are. Like it's genuinely like really great. It one of the things that I love about this movie is. It's not afraid to embrace modern horror tropes. Yeah. And the way that it does that is very creative. It's it's kind of poking fun at the genre while also being very gripping. Yeah, it's almost like like what if you the, the what this movie felt like is like what if you made a movie that was kind of built around every trope and cliche that you could think of in a horror movie, but it actually like work it oh. actually does it and yeah. that movie is cabin in the woods it, make sure you check it out yeah there's a little bit of similarities yeah to... there's a lot of similarities um but yeah again the ending just didn't work for me i, I would have loved this movie Th this is this is something that i, I kind of have to play ping pong in my head is like when a movie really tries to be risky and really tries to do something creative and weird should it be elevated just because it attempts that or should you be harsher on it because it doesn't succeed? So in your opinion, it did succeed, but in mine, it, it didn't work at all. So I think that in my head, I just can't say that I love the movie because what it was trying to do, it failed at it. Well, I, okay. So I don't think that, I mean, of course I, 
we have differing opinions on how successful the ending of this movie is, but I don't think that you can just reward a movie based on ambition, although you can't admire that ambition. Take, for example, last year, Mother. I totally agree. That is an extremely ambitious movie. However, I thought that it failed in almost every aspect of its ambition. So in that case, like I, I don't think that it's completely fair to just be like, wow, man, that was unlike anything else I've ever seen. So that's like fucking incredible. Like it has to actually work for you as a movie. It just depends on personal taste. Right. All right. I think, you know, I was just thinking about mother the other day and I think I liked it. Like I, I mean, if you're still thinking about it, that's got to count for something. It's a, I mean, it's just like, it's, so incredibly unsatisfying on every level and that's exactly what it wanted to do i i think it i i liked it i'm just gonna say it i still think it's pretentious but i mean you know i, I it, it kind of has to be the, pretentious. the reception for this movie is also so interesting to me how everyone is acting like oh so obvious like what 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 trope are you saying like ev- a lot of critiques are like they're essentially saying oh it's a classic triple metaphor movie like what? <laughs> what? That's not a thing. Oh, that's it's not it's a one thing. of those shitty movies with three different interpretations. What? That that makes it a good movie. I like. I don't. I don't like. I ne- I almost think that this movie that mother. I don't want to go too off on a tangent on mother, but I think that that movie had too much ambition, where it was trying to make too many social statements without making uh, what is a cohesive and satisfying story. And I like. I feel. I. Not as negative, I think this is like the worst movie ever, but also there are people out there who think that that is like a true 10 out of 10 masterpiece. And Mother? I, yeah. Oh, yeah, people think that this movie yeah. is like fucking unbelievably great, yeah. and I just I'm not gonna call don't it that, see but it. But anyway, let's let's uh, move on. So that was Ghost Stories yeah. and Mother and Cabin in the Woods, and You Were Never Really Here, <laughs> and The Master. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Donald Glover, our Donnie G, our, our Gammy B, hosted SNL. We just watched it. Um, with musical guest yeah. Donald Glover, our, our you know Donnie G, our, our childy Gammy. Can B. we talk about the the biggest missed opportunity in this episode? It was Donald Glover saying. Now introducing musical guest Childish Gambino, he takes off his jacket and runs up on the stage. Yeah. Like, why didn't that happen? Every, everyone thought he was going to do that. Like when it got announced, everyone's like, "How's he going to announce it?" It's like you think there's never been someone who who did. Yeah, that? it's definitely. Like, Miley did happens. it like a year ago. Um, but yeah, he. I mean, he handled that in a very cool way. He got Zoe Kravitz to do it the first time, and then Daniel Kaluuya to do it the second time. Hell yeah. Um. So yeah, this was I, I missed the cold open, which was star studded, featuring particularly Stormy Daniels and then also Ben Stiller as a uh, Cohen again. Jimmy Fallon, yo, as what uh, Jared? Yeah, yeah, yeah. so great. I figured. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's really cool. I, honestly, I think it's great that they got Stormy to act. I mean, how was she? Yeah. Oh, um, bad. She, but bad. they poke they poke fun at it, saying just like there's a little joke in there where she's just like we're. Uh, you know, Alec Baldwin's on there. He's just like, oh, you know, just just act, just say this thing. And she's like, well, you know, I'm a porn star, so I'm not known for my acting ability. And it said really poorly, but you're supposed to be like, haha, because she is a bad actress. Uh, but well, I mean, it's I, she was playing herself. Though, also, so it was just cool that she was there. Martin Short was in there. Yeah, completely unrecognizable. Yeah, he. I didn't recognize him, and yeah. then he said, oh shit, that's Martin Short. Yeah, and I as, was like, uh, oh, fuck. as Trump's doctor. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. yeah, that would be a lot of makeup for anyone. <laughs> For literally anyone. And um, uh, ScarJo was in there. And, of course, Alec Baldwin back. Yeah, great. Um, then, you know, we, you start to get into the sketches, and Donald Glover was, like, in every single sketch. Yeah, I think he was in every yeah. every sketch. Aside from, you know, the Weekend, weekend Update. update yeah. 
Um, yeah, he and he did from what I saw. I saw most of the episode. He did a great job. Oh yeah, um, which is not a surprise to literally anyone He's who knows like one anything of the most about talented him. People, he was in one of the most famous sketch groups of all time. I mean, he you know he's pretty tailor made for this. He did. I know Drew. You need to watch it. Uh, but he did one of my favorite. I think my favorite sketch was a. Uh, it was a sketch called Friendos that was a play on Migos, where it's a. Uh, it's a pre-taped. Yeah, a pre-taped one where they're like in therapy together, like talking. <laughs> Talking through all their issues. Yeah. That's pretty good. It was it was a really good one. Um, but overall, I mean, wrapping I think that through this all was, their issues. Yeah, wrapping through all their <laughs> issues. I actually think that this was probably the most solid SNL episode of the season. Um, yeah. There are some sketches that I like from Mulaney's hosting a little bit more, especially the lobster sketch. Yeah. But I think that this had no, no sketches where I was like, all right, come on, let's wrap this up. Yeah. Like, I don't think that this episode had a single bad sketch in it yeah i thought the the leslie bit on um on weekend update was a little dragged out you know yeah. we we can always think that those are bad but the audience always likes them which at the end of the day is what this show yeah, is all about it's just it's broad it's not yeah. for us i guess um, also you know what this show didn't really have was kyle yeah let's kyle, about, he was in there one yeah, gotta, one line yeah, major points off for that <laughs> you know it can be as good as it wants but it's a c minus he talked about how he uh skateboards Oh, cool. And then uh, Donald Glover grabbed his skateboard. Man, that is so sad because if you told me in like early high school, if you're like, hey, the, the guy from Derek Comedy and the best guy from Good Neighbors are going to be on SNL together, yeah. I would lose my mind. Yeah. I mean, like, they haven't released the Cut for Time sketches yet, so I'm hoping that there's going to be some really good ones. Yeah, the Mulaney Kyle one was amazing. Yeah, like, oh yeah, the Mulaney Kyle Cut for Time is oh, incredible. Yeah, yeah, that would have been the best sketch of the entire episode. The, that's the best movie of the year. That's <laughs> <laughs> The problem is that Cut for Time sketches, they're usually like some of the best sketches, but they're too weird for general audiences. Yeah, and so I mean, that one wasn't even funny. It's getting, yeah, no, it's just really <laughs> dramatic. Yeah, the Kyle So Fish at man. this point, it's getting to the point where like you kind of have to like look more at like for at least for the three of us that the cut for time sketches are kind of better than a lot of the oh, sketches yeah. there on general a TV. lot of the time they are and if anything it's just a sign that he needs to leave now he needs to get the fuck out of there yeah. beck beck should honestly stay as long as he's he great wants. beck beck is made for snl he's broad he's funny he's versatile kyle's uh none of those things except for funny um yeah. so cal needs to get out but anyway <laughs> um this was yeah this was a really solid episode let's talk about the music because right after his performance he released uh a video for the song this is america which he performed which is a uh it's it starts off as like a lighthearted. you think he's going kind of tropical like a kawaii or like a couple songs on awaken my love mm. uh like the california song yeah He's going for like a tropical vibe. Ludwig uh, Gorenson is on stage for the first song before that, which is totally tropical. Yeah, Saturday. Is there it's, a name out for that? Saturday. Yeah, okay. Saturday is, I think that was a pretty solid song. It's Earth, Wind, and Fire, but like on an island, basically. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I thought, it, I thought it was pretty good. I I don't have a full opinion yet. I need to listen to it again. Uh, the second song, This Is America, the video for it is incredible. Yeah. Video is, I think it's... Uh, at least a nominee for best music videos of the yeah. year so far. It's a, it's a very cool video. I again, maybe the song will grow on me, but I'm not a huge fan of it. Uh, at first, first and second listen, it's it kind of struck me as the critiques that a lot of his stuff gets, which is kind of overproduced and kind of a little bit of a mess, and kind of it, it's almost like uh, like this is a really really unflattering comparison, but it's 
almost a little how I feel when I listen to Logic, where it's like, man, you're, uh, you're re- it's just like you're you're really trying, and the whole thing of hip hop is effortlessness, and it's like, man, you're really just. But he's not even trying to do like classic hip hop. He's trying to merge all these oh, I know. other different yeah. sounds. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's that's kind of I, the first time I listened to this is America. I was like, oh, this isn't bad, and then like it's already starting to grow on me a little bit, just because I think that the all these like contradictory sounds that you're hearing is like kind of what he's singing about in the song. It starts off as this very like cheery, sunny, like summer bop that you're just like listening to. And then it just like gunshot goes off and it's like, this is America. And you just like the music video really reinforces what exactly he's saying in this, where he's just like, Oh man, everybody's so happy here. But there's just this extreme violence and police brutality and, people just like shoot like torture like all these fucking things are happening and this is the true america is the fusing of all of these sounds the the video has some really jarring imagery yeah, there's some intention yeah in there. it's a it's a really good video and that's you know the message of the song is very clear it's very cool the beat switch like i i appreciate it but to my ears it doesn't work like just for just for like my ears i'm like okay well i i want to hear one of these songs I don't know if I want to hear both. The message is that like, well, you got to take the good with the bad, man. But like, I don't know. I'm I'm sure it'll grow on me because a lot of his shit yeah. is is like Awaken My Love growing me a lot. Yeah. The video is directed by Hiro Mirai, who we'll talk about later, directed yeah. some great episodes of Atlanta and Barry. And I watched Barry. in the yeah. past 12 hours, I've watched four episodes of TV and three of them were Hiro Mirai. <laughs> and I've seen the light, guys. The, the future is bright. It just now, you just now got around to this Hiro yeah. Mirai guy. Like, hey, man, he's pretty good. The, uh, <laughs> the song also features Young Thug, 21 Savage, Quavo, Ray Shremard, and block boy jb yeah but just oh. just in the background yeah no <laughs> yeah they don't have guys. a verse you'll just like, hear it's... 21 savage going like whoa, whoa. <laughs> 21 <laughs> yeah all background vocals yeah. yeah yeah um but yeah there's a i mean there's a lot about the song that i do like and that's part of it i i honestly love the concept of just hearing like a guy in the background you're like what the, who's that yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's really funny is that kodak what <laughs> and his performances uh of both saturday and this america they y- y- it's always really great when an artist is able to use the Saturday night, the SNL stage to their advantage. Yeah. Because a lot of times they kind of do the same thing that they do on tour and it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, Donald Glover is able to like really make something special out of it. He had a little set go in with like color coded shirts and like people playing party games. And yeah. Then, like, the, all it was, these it instruments. Was a, yeah. It was a real performance. And I think, I don't know if there's a precedent before this, but it's definitely hearkening back to arcade fires performance where they had people just yeah. working on slot machines in the background. That the whole, yeah, in, the the, whole in the seconds and uh, yeah, put the, your money on me. And the first song creature comfort, I didn't like that performance as much because it was their live show. It was like what they do live on tour and yeah. it works while you're on tour, but the sound just isn't great in that theater, in that auditorium. Um, I honestly just believe that whenever like solo artists or rappers perform at SNL, it most times, nine out of 10 times is vastly better than whenever a band performs, even if the band is a better group than yeah. the solo artist, just because that sound is more conducive yeah, you to really- the 
to like, the area that they're playing yeah, in. Yeah, as a band, you have to go balls out with your sound. And even then, sometimes it doesn't work. The reason Arcade Fire didn't work is because their vocals are their weakest aspect as a band. And, they, and it always has the been. The vocals are the most pronounced and thing. Exactly. But, like, for example, one of the best performances ever on SNL was Foo Fighters right after they released The Pretender. Because uh, Dave Grohl can fucking scream. Yeah. You know? So, like, <laughs> yeah. it, it, he sounds the same in recording. Um, but, yeah, I agree for the most part, though. Like, hip-hop, hip-hop does really well on SNL. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, this, the performances were really good. Um, and he in general was really good. The amount you would have to juggle to do music and all the sketches that you're learning that week is unbelievable. It just made me think about what it must be like to schedule Donald Glover's life. (laughs) He he definitely has like someone helping him with a schedule, but that must be a really intense job. I mean, he he is insanely productive. Like that's just who he is. He's an, he's a, like a workhorse he just goes and goes and goes doing everything i think the the mvp from uh last night's snl episode and from the this is america music video is donald glover's eyes <laughs> how he just has fucking yeah. crazy eyes sometimes yeah, yeah. and you're just like yo what the fuck is he gonna do next and then he just starts like jamming like dancing like oh, i've yeah. never seen any he, person move before yeah his dance is pretty funny it's amazing i love it so much yeah i also admire him having the shirt unbuttoned with just like a little chub you know a little, <laughs> a little belly yeah can we talk about what he came walking out on with the monologue he came walking out with like slacks that almost kind of look like bell bottoms it was so and weird. then a, like a white tank top, tank top wife beater kind of thing with like a cashmere brown jacket <laughs> over it. It's dude, it's 2018. It was like it's called yo, a wife or husband fuck? beater. Yeah. <laughs> it's called a child beater. A child yeah. beater. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, he he pulled out the high fashion shit for this. He <laughs> looked he looked really good during his performances. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there, it was solid sketches. The weekend update killed this week. Um, Che and Jost are getting, they're getting better and better. Hosting the Emmys. Something that's funny is, uh, because they're getting more pointed and political, which how could you fucking not right now? A lot of people are like, yeah, they're not funny anymore. Like weekend update is not funny anymore. I just skipped that. I've heard that from a couple people that I know that I talk about this stuff with. And it's, I 100% know it's because they just disagree with the politics. The jokes are better than they have been in years. Yeah. Like it's, it's as good as it's been since Seth Meyers left. Cause he was great, obviously. Right. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, it's become one of the highlights of the show is the weekend update, which wasn't always the case. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then also another thing uh, happened during weekend update that I, I kind of turned to you guys and said something is that I'm willing to like place money that Pete Davidson's gone after this year. Yeah. He really does nothing on the show anymore, except for show up on weekend update every now and then and play himself Yeah, as like, yo man, I'm crazy. I'm off the rails and I'm jealous too. Yeah. I got problems. Yeah. He had, he had one other <laughs> sketch after that, which was the Barbie sketch. He's just if they were if he he's leaves, either an idiot or he's like the like yeah, over the top guy. exactly and if he leaves they have to get a uh, a young guy like Lauren has this interest like the way he views his cast is like it's like how you read about how geniuses look at numbers like it's a shape to him like mm-hmm. it's yeah it's like some amorphous blob and like he everyone pl- has to fit a yeah slot. exactly mm-hmm. and he plugs people in and like if it if it works it works um. And so, yeah, that would, that slot would, I don't know who would fill that exactly, but, um, some newbie, I mean, I'd be, I'd be fine if Pete left. Honestly, I was thinking about the state of SNL. It's in a weird spot right now because the novelty of a live show is getting lost because like the ratings are like, not a lot of people are watching Nobody it Nobody watches live. it live. Yeah. Yeah. And it it's still like, for me, it still works because I un, like just intuitively, I really, you know, I get 
what they're doing with the live the immediacy of everything and how the difficulty level for SNL is so high it's borderline impossible to pull off this show on a weekly basis but I don't think that that carries to our generation. I don't think a lot of people realize what they're doing. Well, another thing that I wanted to say was that, I mean, we watched this full episode of its entirety because Donald Glover was hosting it. But for the most part for SNL at this point, I just kind of catch like clips on YouTube. Now. Yeah. Like we're a clip and, culture at this point. We're just going to like catch the highlights. And on those are the things that people are going to be talking about is the one sketch that stands out from right. the episode. Exactly. That, well, that and another thing conversation. is that typically the sketch that stands out is the pre-taped sketch, which yeah. is the entire. Yeah antithesis of what they're trying to do like this week the standout sketch was the uh, quiet place parody that was a good that one about kanye which the, was a kanye place it, and it, that was a hilarious <laughs> sketch and it worked better because pre-taped sketches work better because they're pre-taped mm-hmm. so it's hard what they're doing and for a long time they were so against the digital age and they really didn't want to put any of their shit on youtube except digital shorts last night uh i was up at about 1 30 and it was all up already the show ends at one yeah like they are like yeah, no ready to they're go. like please watch this shit like yeah. please and no and nobody's going to be talking about anything everyone's just going to be talking about the video for this is america yeah 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 yeah. no Main, one. <laughs> mainly gambino it's just they're in a tough spot right now and i like like i was saying i think most people we know a lot about television production that's not bragging that's just saying we're nerds and we read about this shit i think if you asked like a random person how long it takes to make uh, like a TV episode, they'd be like, I don't know, a week, a month. I don't. I have no. It takes so long. Yeah. That's the main impressive part of SNL is it's it's like one week and even less than that. Really, they have Sunday off. It's like six days they're doing this shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and half of those days they're just yeah. prepping. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's that's why I've always been fascinated with this show. Um, because there is an aspect of like you're watching people float and like and sink on, in real time. It's very brutal a lot of the time, and I don't know. I feel like it might just kind of get lost. I don't know. All right. Well, one before we move on, there was the Jurassic World sketch that I really liked. I wanted to shut that one out. You have Donald Glover as a uh, a lawyer for Jurassic Playing World. almost like a Johnny Cochran type Yeah, that kinda. also actually that was that gave me some uh, Derek comedy vibes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was that was a really Derek comedy <laughs> sketch, but I think that may have been one of my favorites of the night because it was like all Donald Glover just being mm. weird as fuck, and you know those crazy eyes. That I I like the Barbie sketch too. Whenever it started up, I kind of thought that was gonna be like, okay, this is like the bad sketch of the day, but it yeah. was like actually genuinely funny yeah. because of Donald. because of Donald Glover because yeah. he yeah. elevates everything. That I mean, the whole uh, the bedroom short little sketch that we got with him and um, uh, what's her name the. Uh, the girl that was in Crash. Oh, oh yeah, uh, um, Melissa Villa Senor. Yeah, they, knew, that, that that sketch is funny. It is almost word for word the same sketch that she did with Aziz a couple years ago. Like literally verbatim. <laughs> it's the impressions yeah. are the only thing that is different. Trying to trying yeah. to spice it up in the bedroom. Yeah, but it's still honestly it's a funny sketch. Mm-hmm. Like I see why they did it again. Um, but yeah, also uh, in terms of like ten thousand hours theory, Keenan is at this point more comfortable than anyone has ever been in the history of SNL. He is like, he never stumbles. He does everything perfect. It's it, we're watching a master at work and he's so broad that everyone thinks he sucks. And I hate it. <laughs> I hate it. Cause Keenan is brilliant. A yeah. lot of the times his lines suck, but he has never made a line worse. He makes every line better. Like the writers at SNL love Keenan and he's, yeah, he's just going to stay there. Probably forever. forever. (laughs) What else does he have? Um, All right. So the only two other episodes we have of SNL are Amy Schumer and Tina Fey. So uh, 
maybe we'll. I'm gonna we'll, pass on Amy Schumer. Yeah, we'll see about Tina Fey. Maybe we'll talk about uh, Tina Fey when it comes around. But let's get to this week's Atlanta and or the last two weeks. Last two weeks. Yeah. So last week we had uh, north or south of the border, uh, which was a really fun episode. North of the border. North of the border. Yeah. Okay. Uh, really fun episode where we finally have like pretty much all our main characters minus Van back together, um, and we get a lot of plot. In yeah, this very plot heavy episode for yeah. this one, but it's delivered in such a charming way. I mean, of course, the setup for this is you know Ern finally got Al a gig. It's a free gig that he's playing at the Pajama Jam. Yeah, and on a campus which I think is supposed to be Georgia Southern campus. True. Yeah, um, something like that. It's so, not like so not even Georgia Tech. But yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. But this this episode was very good. Yeah, um, it had some primo comedy and then the some, chase. Yeah, the the pajama chase the ch- when they're running the, just away. The entire scene in the Confederate dorm in the Confederate frat house. Oh my god! Holy that was, shit! That was like some shit out of like after out of a horror movie. Like yeah. I, I, yeah. I've been kind of thinking like this this whole like season of the show has had like very horror vibes even whenever they choose not to go in the direction of horror mm. but like this whole shot of them sitting on the couch and then these pledges sitting on their knees completely naked except with a paper bag over their head mm-hmm. and like you can see full dong there like it's it's blurred out yeah. depending on where you watch it but there are like screeners and stuff that was released out to the press where you just see full dong right there yeah, I would love to see that. Dong <laughs> lover. Yeah, dong, dong lover. lover. That scene was incredible because it was scary and funny. The guy, I, I'm pulling up his name right now because of how standout he was to me. The white dude? Yeah, the guy playing the frat kid. Oh like, my God. He, he looked like he was acting like he was on like Xanax or something. Yeah, he's, he's just fucked up out of his mind. I've never seen a more convincing performance of a college bro, like frat bro that's fucked yeah. up. It was so not over the top. I was... I was in awe of how funny they, this they was. have like old timey guns that yeah. they're just pulling out like super casually. Like I, I just kept thinking, of course, in the reality of Atlanta, of course, a frat house would look like this. You know, mm-hmm. it makes perfect sense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I did love uh, one very like little thing is uh, kind of the one thing where like um, stereotypically black people and uh like confederate people can uh, get along is in their love of guns and <laughs> yeah. that was really funny with him and darius there's they're just like oh we have a gun room and darius is like oh yeah fuck yeah show me your guns <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. and then uh <laughs> the laffy taffy bit yeah because they just they oh, love their yeah. snap he's rap like, he's like yo bro i love like ugk and that shit the way he, his name's tim johnson <laughs> i I was i was like dying at this kid it was the funniest i've met so many dudes who yeah. are that guy um, but yeah, this was, uh, after that, what happens in this episode? Oh, well, I mean the fight, man. Well, yeah. I mean, leading up to that, you know, y- you're having this dynamic play out between, um, Ern and, and Paperboy because Paperboy, you know, he just came out of a really transcendental experience in woods. Mm-hmm. I think that th- what, what he experienced in that episode really made him realize like, how much he has to reevaluate yeah. the seriousness of his of his music well, career and yeah and the conversation before that with the girl he was with who was straight up telling him you yeah. have to reevaluate your music career pretty much <laughs> yeah exactly so so he's coming into this episode like thinking all these things from yeah. the previous episode he's, he's coming in with side eye at earn which is great 
because we never really see that in Atlanta for something that happened in the last episode to carry over into the next one. Yeah, you, he even still has the wounds from the beating. Yeah, he it's yeah. This yeah. was this was actually like episodic. Yeah. Um, so so he's he's coming in here and already like, you know, again given side at at, at Earn because Earn sets up sleeping at not even an airbnb yeah it's some just dorm. Like, yeah at this this chick who's really into uh paper boys who's like, obsessively like yeah crazy. like two yeah we'll learn <laughs> two into him the scene in her room was amazing it yeah. was so haunting. i thought that it was going to go in like a thousand different directions <laughs> yeah. whenever that scene happened and then oh and then there's the big you know blow up at the pajama jam where she freaks out and right before that there's the indicator line that something's up with paper boy where he's talking about how uh what's the guy's name the, the Tracy yeah how Tracy's like fucking up and then Paperboy's just like well I mean he's just trying to get his money I can respect that mm. and Ern's like what are you saying bro yeah and then right after that everything blows up and like Tracy's definitely partially to blame because he pushed this chick down the stairs but the whole situation is Ern's yeah they're fault. they're in that place because of this Ern. yeah this chick is involved with them because of Ern. So yeah. it's and then eventually at the uh, frat house they have that conversation when they finally get the weed. It's hardly a conversation because, because it's, Ern, it's really just paperboy just telling him yeah, how and, it is. Yeah, and, and Ern, Ern is just, just silent. Out. He can't even he doesn't even defend himself. He like can't defend himself. Ern, uh, paperboy is right. Yeah, he's oh, dead I mean right. he's absolutely he's right. He's like, that, "Bro, no, this is all your fault. Like you are not we're not getting paid." And then he he drops the bomb that he's been talking to uh the other yeah clark clark county's yeah manager. clark county's manager who's like i don't know like I, that reminded me of yachty when he started doing sprite ads so exactly but, yeah so i wanted the to industry say, plant i well i do agree that urn is in the wrong here i don't think that urn is entirely to blame for Paperboy's uh, problems, like Ern set up the meeting with the the fake spotify yeah he's like not, he, he's not totally to blame. he's trying to do something but it's like it, it's almost counterintuitive for Al to think like, oh, I got to go to Clark County's manager because the whole thing is Ern's trying to tell him in that episode like, hey, you got to play the game if you want to get if you want to be successful. Yeah. Clark County is all about playing the game. That's all that he fucking does. Mm. So it's one of those things where I I mean, we knew that this was coming, this kind of a sh- uh, schism between um Al and Ern, but I don't really know how well it's going to work out whenever he goes and tries to hook up with yeah. the other manager. I don't know if that's something that we'll see. There's only one more episode this I mean, season. I don't know if we're going to see that, it this season or yeah, next that, season. That is but. a good point. He kind of he wants a manager that does more than Ern, which is fair, but he has to do more than he's doing to to work with that manager. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it is going to be interesting in the future. But um, let's let's talk about um, the big moment of the episode, which is. Earn loses his shit for the first yeah. time, like the entire series, really, I, that he actually yeah, kind of yeah. lost it. I loved this. Yeah. I, I loved how the whole thing played out because he hates Tracy. He's always hated Tracy. Um, he's seen him because Tracy is a big dumb yeah. idiot. He starts trying to knock down the door of the of the dorm, pu- uh, pulls the fire alarm, and then in the car, he's so angry. And just wants to take it out on Tracy. And Tracy's being especially obnoxious yeah. on this car ride home, though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Tracy's super annoying. Yeah. But, like, Tracy's also... He's not the reason that this is all going down. Like, 
so then eventually they actually get into a fight and Tracy plays it very admirably and he mm-hmm. does a great job acting it as well where yeah. he, he's just like man I don't want to do this but like you're charging at me I'm just going to beat the shit and Ern, I think Ern knows yeah. that he can't take him on he just he has just, to take out that frustration this is, and this, yeah. this is the second time this season that uh, Ern has just been totally cucked in a physical challenge the first was yeah, like, 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 <laughs> yeah exactly he he wants to compete in these arenas and he just can't yeah. like he wants he has all this anger and energy inside him and he's just a, kind of a loser i mean thus far yeah um we all want to see him become a winner but this show doesn't always give you what you want yeah. you know um so then did you guys watch fubu yeah yes. yeah okay, we saw good, good. we saw fubu so this you know we or earlier it, when the season first started we predicted that hopefully we would get a, a flashback episode yeah. mm-hmm. but I think I was really, really surprised that we were right, but even more surprised that it wasn't the type of flashback that I expected. It wasn't college, and it, yeah, it wasn't. It, was, it wasn't the same actors. Yeah. yeah, but I, I really, really enjoyed this episode. It's, it's a middle school flashback episode, and the entire thing, the plot is centered around. I fucking loved. I yeah, loved. it's, it's so middle school. Like yeah. it feels so real. It's incredible how they were able to pick out exactly what that is. Like this whole the feeling bullying. of even just like starting with them. I mean, the whole department store thing, just kids like hiding in the racks at the fucking department <laughs> store to them riding the bus. And like a kid throws the yogurt out the window, it hits another kid and he just goes there, punches him yeah. real quick and then jumps. Like that's literally it, fucking middle. Yeah. School. It really like, capturing the feel of childhood is a really difficult thing when you're like, you know, an adult who's very, you know, doing his own thing and professional. Uh, I mean, the best at it that I've ever seen is Sean Baker, but this, this did a really, really solid job with that. The entire, the, the entire logic of these kids lives checks out for how middle school is. Yeah. They're, the whole episode is centered around whether or not a shirt is like it's, that. It's actual, fake fubu. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that, that's, it's great. It's, you know, it has a cultural thing to say while still being just a thing that would genuinely really happen and honestly may have happened to yeah. Donald Glover. Like, because mm-hmm. from what I could tell, from what I've read about his childhood life, it's very, very similar to that where he wasn't, he wasn't poor, but he wasn't rich and his mom, you know, was pretty hard knock and she would teach him lessons um, and he just didn't quite fit in. Um but yeah, the he, the actor who played Donald was really good. He was amazing. Yeah, he I was thought. great. But yeah. I thought the MVP of this episode yeah, was, was Young Al, little, little fat paper boy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, wearing yeah. like yo, they got army? snitches up in here. <laughs> yeah, like an army. It was like ROTC. Yeah, like, ROTC. Yeah, yeah. He, God, man, he was hilarious. He was they, so good. He's always been hustling. The first scene we see <laughs> yeah. of him, he's in the principal's office and he gets off, even though he did everything wrong. <laughs> yeah, he he stole a kid's calculator and then like sold it back to yeah. him or and some then, shit. Like that, like the scene that I fucking love though is where it's all coming to a head, and there's this one kid who knows for sure if the Fubu is fake. Um, and Paperboy comes in to save Ern because Ern's about to get the shit bullied out of him. And then Paperboy, this this is the childhood logic I was telling you. He comes up and he's like, Nah, man, uh, of course that guy would say it was made in China is real, he's from China. <laughs> Like that's middle school. The most is, the yeah. most confident person is right in yeah. middle school. There's no facts in middle school. Dude's like, I'm from the Philippines. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I love that because that is how it works when you're a little kid. If you act like you're right, you're right when you're a kid. Also, shout out to that kid wearing Tommy Hilfiger, like the hottest. Oh clothes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the voice of reason. Is the guy who has real Tommy Hilfiger that he wears yeah. every day. Yeah, it was it was just. But then everything this episode kind of comes to a head whenever you it goes to the next day. Well, you see him 
him, riding home on the bus, all these kids, like the 12th graders, are coming after him and like bullying him, chasing him onto the bus, throwing shit at him. And then Ern's just the looking next, like- yeah, Ern's just looking on, knowing that he basically contributed to all this. And then the next day, the principal walks into the classroom Oof. and says, Hey, um, your classmate killed himself yesterday. Jesus. And what's the like most depressing part about that scene is somebody says, yeah, he committed suicide last night. And you hear a kid chuckle in the classroom. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that is another thing. It's just it's so, like, it's so richly imagined. It's so that is dark, school. but true. One like, kid laughs. Everyone kind of looks at him like, Hey man, like that is how it goes in middle school. I went to a middle school really similar to the, the one yeah. portrayed and it was just that way. Yeah. And like, then you have the earlier, you have the scene where the, there's the one like class clown, uh, roasting the sub just cause he's really fat. Yeah. Like and this, everyone's just like laughing at him. I believe Don, Donald Glover directed this episode, yeah. didn't he? I think that this is the best directed episode that Donald Glover is actually like personally directed. Yeah, it's like kind. It's, it's kind of tiny bit, kind of like the uh, B A N of this season. Just like kind of removed from everything. The it one is, episode but that, it kind of it's still like it rings true the theme of Earn this season, which is like he's always been somebody who's trying to be cooler than he actually is instead of just embracing himself. Like he's the smart kid. Just be the smart kid. Yeah, like you don't yeah. need to keep trying to stunt on everybody and, and prove how cool you are. We we really also explore um, the relationship between him and Al and that camaraderie between them, and it highlights what happened last episode of them kind of falling apart even more because you see you with this flashback you see how far back their relationship yeah. goes and how they've always looked after each other yeah it speaks to that um the i mean the kid killing himself is like that was yeah. that was isn't this such a such a feel good comedy just a good half hour <laughs> yeah. Yeah. comedy well another <laughs> another thing this show always does right um that a lot of other shows I think should take a note is they don't try to cram a lot of flashback episodes are an actual episode with flashbacks. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't like those nearly as much as I like this. If you're going to put me in a world, just put me straight in that world. It does that with every, almost every episode is like that where it's like, okay, we're at Drake's house. We're just at Drake's house. Okay. We're at fucking, um, we're at that weird, like, mansion in season one yeah we're just there like you're putting because a lot of the time shows try to get a little cutesy and it's like well if you know what the best scene in your script is just make the whole episode that one scene and not only that is i feel like people try to use often these like different cool locations to like they're like, well, we have a cool location here, so now we can shove exposition down your throat and like really try and advance the plot as yeah, much exactly. as we can. And with an episode like this, there's plot in it, but it's up to you as the viewer to draw the connections from this independent plot to the yeah. plot that we've been following it, yeah, the whole season. Because it is related to what we've just seen, but in a tangential way. That I mean, it speaks to the creative freedom of the show that they're able to do that. Because a lot of the time, I'm sure they would like, like other shows would like to do a whole flashback episode or a whole episode in one spot. But the audience wants to see everybody at home at the end of the episode. Right. The audience wants to see Donald Glover. Like it's someone just tuning in is like, what's going on right now? <laughs> you know, and but they're the show just, doesn't care about. That. Yeah. FX is the best network on television because they let people cook. They let people do what they do. And it's working out so well. Yeah. So we have one episode left. Um, I'm any, not, I don't any know what it's predictions called. predictions what we're going to get? I know this episode, no, nobody's seen this. Like, uh, I know critics are going to see it at the same time as the viewers, much like with Teddy Perkins. So I don't know. I mean, we got so much plot in. 
south of the border that I don't know how much more plot we could get in this one. I don't know either. Like, I'm kind of curious to see what exactly is going to happen. I'm predicting, like, a heavy urn episode, but I don't think that... I don't think this is going to get resolved this whole season, this whole Earn and Al feud. Like, we've already gotten a lot more plot this season than we did in all of season one. So, I don't know. Um, A lot of people have been predicting um, that things could get really... uh, We've seen Al be exposed to a lot of violence. mm -hmm. And some people have been predicting that it could get really bad for him. You know, some people have been predicting (sighs) death. I can't have Brian Tyree Henry die. Some people... Yeah, I, I don't... I don't think he's going to die, but I could see him dealing with some dark, dark shit. You know, we we alluded to um, his past with his mom and like how, you know, she is probably gone from his life. Um, and then, you know, you have this trajectory of his music career and his fame blowing up. So if you kind of relate like that with the idea that this is Robin season and that violence has been more prominent in this season than in season one. We could, we could see some, some dark shit happen in the final episode cliffhanger. Maybe, maybe not. I don't, I don't know. But if you think back to that very, very first episode of Atlanta, there's a scene when Paperboy's in, in a, in a gun like standoff with this guy at a gas station. And we don't see the outcome of that. We know that there's a shooting, and the next episode, you know, he's in in prison or in jail, you know, being held. But ever since that first episode, they've introduced the idea of Paperboy being, like, so close to death. Yeah, I mean, I could see him, more likely than dying, I could see him killing someone, um, I yeah. think. Because, I mean, it's Robin season. I could see someone, like a third person, trying to rob him, and he's like, okay, no. And then he just kind of goes ballistic. Or or Earn. You know, Earn, at this point, we already saw him freak out, and he's and losing this gig, it was the only thing keeping him going. Yeah. Is he going to resort to some crazy cr- criminal shit? I hope not, but at the same time, like I could totally see Donald Glover writing himself out of the show. Maybe he says, like, I just want to be a writer and director on the show now. That would be crazy. That would I mean, be wild if he's the top build actor on the show and, and he's, he's going to fucking him. write himself off. That'd like, be funny. That would be something that they would do. Exactly. Like, that's <laughs> that just seems totally as a possibility for Atlanta. So ballsy. So ballsy. Okay, well, that's Atlanta. Um, you guys want to wanna talk about Legion before we take let's a break? Talk, yeah, let's talk about the other FX show that... Um, I know you and I both love. Yeah, so we we uh, last time we about talked about this. Weeks. Yeah, last time we talked about this, we were dealing with uh, the main characters being stuck in this like mental maze mm-hmm. that this monk has put them in. Yes. it's really unclear, and that's one of my gripes with this show. I'm just that... gonna like, I'm just gonna leave. <laughs> I'm gonna cook some eggs. Okay, go cook some eggs. <laughs> when when this uh, when this show gets really plot heavy, it starts to lose me a little bit. When it asks you to pay so much attention to, like, the details of, like, this Division 3 and this hunt for the Shadow King and this monk and all this, like, it's all really, really cool imagery. And I love, like, the production value of this. But the plot thread is very meandering and I have a hard time following it. I love the episode, you know, after that. So so we, we have... We have that that maze episode, and then the big one that we really want to get into is when he's in 
uh, Sid's mind. Yes. And um, it has nothing to do with the monk or his maze no. or, any, or the clacking teeth or anything like that. I, I, I do. I agree with your point completely. Um, I still I, I still love the show because I don't really know where it's going. But my biggest gripe more so than the meandering plot is whenever it tries to over-explain the meandering plot. That's the thing that drives me insane is I'm like, if you want to be experimental, fucking be experimental yeah. and don't explain anything to me. But... This episode, episode twelve or uh, chapter twelve, um, it's episode four of season two. I think this might be the best episode of TV I've seen so far this year. Wow! I really think like this. It is a great episode. It's truly amazing in that the general premise of this episode is you see David uh, venture into Sid's mind, and he's stuck there. He's stuck there. Rewatching Sid live through her entire li- life over and over again, Groundhog Day style. And the way that is visualized is insanely it's, good. It's so unbelievable. You see um, her like in this igloo type thing mm-hmm. with a fire, and that's supposed to represent like some time before birth. Right, yeah. And then you hear like the sounds of labor, and she crawls <laughs> out from the igloo, and then just bam, she's born into the world. So crazy. Shout out to the. This is a very music driven episode. Oh, um, there's some great, the song, great needle the, drops on the, this. Uh, episode opens up with uh, Bonnie Vare's 22 uh, Over mm-hmm. Soon, which is a fucking unbelievably yeah. beautiful song. It plays, so through good. The, it plays through the entire song, and we see all of Sid's life. To the tune of this song. And it's beautiful. It's, it's beautiful, beautiful. And it really just kind of rings through the theme of this episode where it's this this is a very complex story to kind of parse through on what exactly you are trying what exactly you are watching and why you're watching it. And you're kind of watching this episode through the eyes of David too, because you keep watching her live through your life over and over again, getting a little bit more of this scene or a little bit more of that scene. And it ends with them in this little art exhibit and David kind of being like, oh, okay, I get it now. It's because you always wanted to have this relationship with your mother and you never could because you couldn't touch her. And she's just like, no, try again. Yeah, well, David is made he, – he kind of gets it in his head that he just have to – he has to figure out her deepest desire because mm-hmm. that's what freed the other people from the maze. Um, but then he realizes that they're not actually in a mental maze. They're just stuck in her head still in this sort of limbo um and i do want to draw attention to that museum scene because talk about lynchian yeah that the, is the very art, the artwork on the on the walls the, and just the floor this, the, the floor, zigzag pattern the zigzag on the, floor. on the floor and then you just see this one couple just sitting there just making out hardcore like no explanation for yeah. it at all and she's just kind of like staring past them and also i, I kept thinking about when when Cooper is walking through the lodge and he's walking through these red curtains, you get that sense of like the infinite loop. Right. That he's just, he just keeps walking down and each room just looks exactly the same. And it, it kind of gave me that same vibe of like David just going in this infinite loop of Sid's life, just going and going and going, trying to figure out exactly how he can escape this. Yeah, and... You just kind of, you see things from Sid that, because what this whole episode is about is it isn't about trying to find her desires. It's about staring at her scars and at her faults and like learning that those, she didn't necessarily learn from these faults, but these faults came to describe who she was as a person. Yeah. That's the big takeaway from the episode, I think, is 
she made so many mistakes trying to to come to terms with her powers and her you know mutant capabilities and whatnot things that really fucked people up like we see her kind of ruin some people's lives yeah well i mean the first thing the first thing that we see is she's being kind of harassed by this boy who's just like come on just a kiss just a kiss and she and then she's like no i don't want to do this uh kind of pushing him away and he's just like you're such a fucking bitch and then like these girls come around there like pointing and heckling at her so she kisses the guy because we've seen in her powers before she has the ability to change switch switch bodies bodies with somebody she becomes this boy and then just starts beating the shit out of these girls switches back whatever like the adults come back and it's just like i don't know he just started beating them and this guy's like i don't know what the fuck happened like i just like blacked out out, yeah yeah, i just knocked out and now he's like just assaulted three different girls but then we get to the truly haunting thing which (sighs) is honestly like it, it like it made me sick to my yeah. stomach. Well, okay, like, so we had seen hints to this moment before. It, it was kind of alluded to earlier that she had this dark past um, with her mom and her mom's boyfriend, mm-hmm. right? We've seen snippets of uh, this. Which, of, shout out to uh, what's her name, the actress who's in American Horror Story. Yeah, she's really great um, in this as uh, as Sid's mom. But you know, we we get to a moment in Sid's life when she is being really um i guess hormonal like she she's just wants she really yeah, is desiring physical contact yeah. and she sees her mom hanging out with with this boyfriend of hers and she switches into her mother's body and then goes to where the dude is is showering upstairs and gets in the shower with him and they have sex and she changes back to her original teenager body. And that whole sequence is done in this really just horrific way where, like, you follow the mom kind of wake up and go back upstairs. And just kind of hear screaming. Yeah. And you walk in there and you see her staying there with just a t-shirt on like in the shower and, and the dude's like i didn't do anything i didn't do yeah anything. and just like calling the cops you see the cops take this guy away and it's just excellent acting by the child who played sid um i don't know her exact name but it was just such a jarring scene to watch yeah, how you just see her and it was really a great job acting by um the woman who played sid's mom too i can't really pull up the name right now but um she's a great actress and this kind of very like look of just this uh i don't even know quite how to describe it this this like puzzled look like she'd never done it before and she was like slowly tenderly like trying to touch him, oh, when they're in out the to shower make sure that she wasn't going to like change yeah. bodies again or anything like that and then the dude just starts going at it they start having sex it's just so hauntingly shot that it's really kind of mesmerizing. You're watching it just kind of gripping your seat, waiting to see like, oh God, this is like, this can only go bad. Like this, there's, there's no way that this can be good. But at the same time, it's not done in a kind of uh, um, like in, in a way that's meant to like, kind of like be intentionally jaw-dropping or like revolting or anything like that it's very artfully done 
um, just watching all this. And I think that just goes to a credit by the acting. Yeah, and, and I think, um, you know, again, the whole point of this is just to have David relive Sid's experiences through her own memory. So clearly he's just trying to move through her memory of her life to find these moments that have come to define her. And we see that her darkest moments are those are those moments mm. that the, the times in her life when she's really just seen really fucked up, horrific stuff is what she holds on to and what she she feels is the, the things that are going to empower her to really take control of her abilities. And another thing that's a big theme in this episode is that this whole idea where David's kind of watching this whole thing, just being like, I don't care what defines you. I still love you. And she's like, lovers aren't going to survive a war. Fighters will are going to be the thing that survives a war, which is very true and very contradictory to so many other pieces of art that you see there. Just like, if we love each other, we'll be able to push through this. And Sid's like, no, that's bullshit. Like, we need to learn to fight. We need to learn to look at our scars and kind of embrace our faults. And that's going to be the thing that helps exactly. us push through. Exactly. And I think that they did a really good job of kind of hammering that point down because we've talked about it before about how David isn't really the true hero that traditional main characters are. And it really makes you think about Sid as a character and what her role is in all this. And I think that, you know, based on what we see in the following episode with, you know, David coming face to face with Lenny, with Aubrey mm -hmm. Plaza finally. So the next episode is a very Aubrey Plaza heavy episode. You kind of start to think like, what is going to happen to this relationship? You know, season one spent a lot of time bringing David and Sid together as a couple and now we've really seen them apart and I'm kind of thinking if we're if they're going to be at odds at any point and if we're really going to see Sid step up to be this like leader for the good guys and David kind of like go off on his own as more of like a rogue type force because um, in the following episode you know kind of moving into that uh Aubrey Plaza's Lenny comes back in a physical form mm -hmm. and it's so kind of surprising because she's never really yeah, had a physical body. Yeah, we've never seen her in a physical body before. So the whole episode is kind of leaning into that mystery of like, how the hell is she sitting there? Why is she actually physically there? We still we still going over here? Yep. Okay. Yeah, dude. I'll just uh, go back to eat my eggs. Okay, go eat your eggs. <laughs> I love this episode. Aubrey I, Plaza's amazing. Yeah, I think this episode really would not work if it wasn't for Aubrey Plaza. Um, she, she really just kind of sells this whole thing where you honestly, like, I don't know whether or not to trust her, like, as a person. She's, like, all through season one, she was the big bad. She was the person who we were going up against this entire, but the she, entire first season. she turned out to but, be a figment of David's imagination. Exactly. And then... Of his, his schizophrenia. But now it's been established in this season, or at least it's quote-unquote established that she's being held hostage by Farouk, by like the yeah. Shadow King. And she's just like, please help me get out of here. I need to escape. But at the same time, like we don't know if we can trust her or not. she's not an actual person. She's not an actual person. <laughs> and Farouk still brought her into the physical world somehow. Which, by the way, that sequence, I was in awe of how, first of all, I didn't see it coming at all. 
And then when it plays out, I was like, the implications that this is going to have on David are, I, I can't even imagine what yeah, this is going to so do. He, they basically sacrificed David's sister. Yeah. Killed his sister. So and now- she was in some sort of, I'm, I'm having trouble remembering because she gets, she gets abducted. She gets taken at some point in season one. This is the first time we see her in season two. Right. And she's in some sort of like house surrounded by like weird donut people well there's like you can assume like her husband is like some kind of a military force or something but she's she's been put there by somebody she's being like kind of held in some sort of enclosure Mm -hmm. you know and we don't know exactly if that's for her own safety or what exactly is going on there yeah because i remember she visited the the uh, the mental facility Uh that the bulk of season one took place on and she did she get committed i don't because they had no trace of david being there and she was like no like my brother was here i okay i do kind of remember that part the way that i took it for why they went after her is because since uh david and her are twins she oh, kind of has a little okay. bit of Lenny in her. Like, she knows who Lenny is, even though she may have not physically been able to see her. Right. Lenny has been a part of David's life for pretty much his entire life. Yeah. It's like his imaginary friend who ended up kind of coming to be this dark entity that was within him. Yeah. Um, so that was why I, that was kind of why I was thinking why they chose her. Um, uh, great performance by uh, uh, Mark she, Duplass's wife. Yeah. Mrs. Jennifer, Duplass. Plus, I'm not, I'm not sure what her um, name is, but she was great. And I think she's gone. I would be really surprised if they brought her back because it really seems like. But that that whole yeah. thing is also like excellently shot where you see her. She, it's Lenny who has brown eyes, but then you see the blue eyes of his sister yeah. in there. And David's getting these kind of flashes of memories from their childhood yeah. together. Because he's trying to read her mind and he's like, how do you know this? Yeah. And then finally he comes to the realization and it's a great moment that that's his sister yeah. <laughs> sitting right in front of him looking like this crazy fucking, you know, manifestation of his insanity you know lenny has always been proof that that david is actually crazy Mm -hmm. he's seeing a someone who is not really there but now she is really there now she is there taking the body of his sister so right the episode ends with him kind of looking off which i thought was kind of like a corny moment where he kind of looks off into this and he's like i'm coming for you yeah yeah, i'm gonna get (laughs) you the the show is gonna have those moments but i thought that this episode was kind of i mean episode uh chapter 12 was like a big it was kind of a sideways step for the season in a good way where it wasn't plot heavy at all this one felt very plot heavy as it was advancing the plot bringing lenny to david to meet physically for the first time but it wasn't exposition heavy in an obnoxious way. Also, uh, I love the scenes of uh, Farouk and uh, Jermaine Clement riding around together. Yeah. And like <laughs> Jermaine just good. casually talking about life and death and then just being like, I'm going to kill you, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love Jermaine Clement. Also, we, uh, we never sh- gave a shout out to the little... Um, black beetle thing from the john ham oh uh, yeah thing. so lynchian crawling yeah. into the ear of the one dude. yeah it's literally i mean straight that's kind out of, of twin peaks i was actually uh getting like uh episode 
Twin Peaks: The Return episode eight vibes. Like every time yeah. I see that little beetle crawling yeah. in, and the, Jesus the, Christ, and the John, the John. You can go away. Go, go away for another three minutes. Episode eight, minute fourteen C, <laughs> second two. Jesus Christ, get the fuck out of here, the, Drew. I just feel excluded. The <laughs> I'm John, angry. the John Ham um, sequence that we got in this newest episode was really cool. It was, it was good. It was, short. But it, was it was very short. Um, I, I'm kind of wondering what's going to happen with these if they're going to tie together these little things or if they're meant to be like little like parentheses, like here's the theme of the episode for you. Yeah, Cause that's what it kind it of out. comes out yeah. as sometimes. I don't know. I'm still, I'm super in on the show. I think that this season's kind of wrapping up soon. Um, well, I know season, season one, one was eight. eight. Yeah. So this was, we just had the sixth episode or was it the fifth? I think episode? that was, no, it was chapter 13. So we just had the fifth episode. Yeah. So we got a few more, but I think there's gonna be um ten. Oh, is it ten? Okay. Ten or eleven. Okay. All right. Cool. So I'm glad that we still have a good bit more because it seems like we have a. Uh, it's gonna be ten. Advancing. Or no, it's gonna be eleven. 11. I'm yeah. I'm interested to see what's going to go on with the uh, basket head man on what's going on because we see this little like vision that you have and then it kind of like yeah. zooms in and he's like this like demonic bird looking person underneath <laughs> this basket. Yeah. No, the the season's not wrapping up. We're halfway there. Okay. We're All halfway right, cool, there. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Okay. I'm I'm glad now. <laughs> so take a break. Yeah. So we're gonna take a quick break and when we get back. We're going to talk Barry and Mulaney and Westworld. And of course, Westworld. It's a long one, boys. Looking at a long one. I have work at six. Let's do it. We'll be back. How are those eggs, Drew? Oh, dude, I fucking love eggs. Great crust. Great tomato sauce. The cheese on there. Pepperoni. You got crusty eggs? Yeah. Eggs are the most versatile of the uh, of all the, uh, so it's, the it, groups. It was more of a tortilla? Yeah. You know, uh, you have... Egg has like five ingredients. Crust, cheese, tomato sauce, pepperoni, whatever else you want to throw on the top there. Put it in the oven. Bellissimo! That's a good egg! You know? Yeah. Yeah, eggs are known for their uh, Italian heritage. <laughs> yeah. We all love eggs. Yeah. Italian Sweets. people love their huevos. Love that sweet, sweet egg. Hawaiian egg, meat lover egg. Mm-hmm. I was a kid. When I was a kid, I had a song I would sing. This is real. It went, do you like eggs? Do I like eggs? Do you like eggs? Do you like eggs? Nice. So that was something just you and your mom did during breakfast time? Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was like 
15, 16. <laughs> She'd walk into your room, like, clapping, like, yeah. yay, do you Ha-ha. like eggs? Breakfast. <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, breakfast, mommy. All right, now take the bus to 11th grade, son. Yep. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, we're back. Um, yeah, we're talking. You know what? No, before, before we're back <laughs> pop culture, I'm going to make a hot take, a topical hot take. When LeBron James retires, he will be known as the greatest of all time. I'm gonna say it. I okay. Isn't so, he already? Well, I mean, people. There's no, still pe- Michael Jordan. People fuck people. I mean, I know people who think Jordan or uh, Kobe's better than LeBron. That's bullshit. People, yeah, people that's, are stupid. That's bullshit. LeBron is consensus top two now. If you're smart and not Bill Simmons, who thinks Bill Russell is some great. I mean, Bill Russell is kind of Bill Russell changed the game of basketball. Yeah, but, but so did. Well, I mean, we can't really like as a younger generation really speak to that because we never like saw him yeah, play. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's hard. like oh, uh, Red Auerbach, greatest of all time. No, shut up. Get out of the, <laughs> you're not in the conversation. Yeah, he was playing against accountants. I think the reason why <laughs> LeBron is better than like let's say Bill Russell is because there are just. Like, everybody in the NBA at this point is just a it's fucking huge. freak athlete. Exactly. Everybody is faster, bigger, and stronger. Yeah. I swear, I saw... Everybody is Daft Punk. There was, yeah, there was a good Twitter thread, because everyone's like, oh, LeBron wouldn't have made it in Jordan's NBA. And then there's a, a thread of gifts of Jordan just clowning all these tiny white dudes, because that's what half the NBA was in the late 80s. Like... LeBron's gonna go down as the greatest. Fight me. I still in real think. Life. I still think. Like, if I'm going with a guy very into the game to make a game-winning three or something, I'm gonna take Jordan. Paul George. But oh. <laughs> Carmelo Anthony. Yeah. Um. No, but like, I do think that LeBron is. I. It's at least a debate he, where, el- like, yeah, no. a couple years ago, even it wouldn't have been Jordan. Debate, I mean, Jordan but, had the greatest peak of all time. Uh, LeBron's he's gonna have the longevity he's not gonna retire for two years to play baseball like an idiot yeah that was just a cause, stupid just cause his dad used to beat him and say play baseball uh, well, okay let's let's move on I'm getting heated <laughs> I I want that Space Jam 2 and then we Yo, can have speaking this of, greatest of all time conversation I literally have squad sho- socks on right now wow I mean, I've got these for you're a true birthday. Bill Murray yeah I'm a true uh, R. Kelly you know the other. I like to urinate on minors. Oh Jesus no, Christ. and keep them as like weird sex slaves. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, another thing, the uh, another big knock on LeBron is they're like, I don't like how he handled going to Miami, bitch. That was ten years ago. Do you think that he was like, hey, I want to do a TV special? No, he has people for that. Someone- well, okay, that was a stupid move though on his part, and I'm sure if he could go back, he wouldn't. Yeah, do but that it again. doesn't matter. All the but- money from he he raised two million dollars for Boys and Girls Club in thirty minutes. His, someone came to him was like, hey, do you want to do a special for charity? And he said yes. Are you going to be mad at him for that ten years later? No, shut up. Okay, everyone should so- shut up. I I. I don't like the way that the decision was made. However, I do like I understand where he's coming from. Like, why wouldn't you want to win when he was on a exactly. team? The Cavs were bad every single no. fucking year with him, and okay. they never tried to yeah. get better. Pe- people are stupid. This is sports is pop culture. LeBron is pop culture. Let's move on. Let's we just, just on. have a sports. Well, let's do a whole sports let's, pod. One yeah, day. we'll do. Yeah, we'll do that. We'll, we'll do sometime that Ernie can't be there. Live NBA hey, ca- NBA finals coverage. The FIFA World Cup is coming up. That's Yo. you know FIFA. We all know FIFA. We all know FIFA. We gotta get back into FIFA. Let's just do like Twitch stream FIFA. Yeah. Instead <laughs> Except of podcast. it'll be like games. Fuck, fuck the podcast. <laughs> like live games, not like the games. <laughs> yeah, we can we can FIFA. talk about movies while we play FIFA yeah, on yeah, the yeah. Twitch stream. Okay. Yo. Let's get into uh <laughs> That's how we'll get more than twelve listeners. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's talk Barry. 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 So it took me a little while to get into this show because I think it was having a little bit of growing pains, oh, yeah. like it had coming to, into it. It had to itself. figure itself out, it, but it's been uh, – this show, 
I'm calling it right now. This show is a winner because it has the one mark of every winner. It's tweaking in the right directions as it goes along. Yeah. It's, it, it's it really right is changes. getting like the pilot I thought was okay. And I thought that every episode since then has gotten better and better. Mm. Like I, I feel yeah. like this whole season of this show is just kind of like slowly ticking upwards and upwards. And yeah. the most recent episode that we got was the best episode yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. The two latest ones, both directed by Hiro Murai, mm-hmm. um, have Barry like really, really struggle to move away from the whole assassin side yeah, of things. They have, this is what I wanted from the show. Because so the first few episodes, they played with that concept. Obviously, it's the biggest thing going on in his life. But they didn't get into the emotional core of someone who has killed people because it was their orders. And now they're not even... It's not even orders anymore. It's just his job. And the morality of that versus... We want to think he's a good person because he's the protagonist and he's somewhat likable. Right. He wants to think he's a good person. But he's an, a fucking murderer. Yeah, and the best, uh, well, there are two, uh, one from uh, last week's episode and then one from this most week recent episode that are both take place in the acting class, which I think are two of the best scenes of the entire series. See, we have the scene where he's talking about how, like, oh, uh, they're talking about uh, Macbeth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this whole morality of, like, well, if you kill somebody, that makes you a bad person. We can all agree on that. And he's just, like, he starts going on this whole thing where he's just, like, well, what if those are your orders? And everybody in the class is just, like, oh, no, I mean, you still have free will. You have a right to do that. Yeah, and, and he's, he's like, just like, he's like, I've killed people. <laughs> yeah, he's like, yeah. I was in the fucking military was, where I was ordered to kill people. Yeah, because I, the, the showstopper, like, seemingly from that episode is the rage later in the episode which is really really cool it's well executed it's well directed but that scene i thought was probably the best scene in the whole show so far because we get this like he really genuinely shows emotion he's been yeah he's been so robotic he's been pretty yeah robot like and we get into his actual struggle of i have killed people it was my order and then they're like okay we want to apologize like it was it was your orders you're right but i mean if it's not orders, you can't kill anyone. If it's outside, <laughs> if it's outside of war, then you're uh, yeah. Monster. We can we can all agree. And, <laughs> and, and I think the, the the comedy has worked really well with each current with each successive episode. I, I think my my biggest gripe with the show was that it wasn't balancing the drama, yeah, it was, violence it was, with the comedy. I was well. going to say that every time the show leans more dramatic, I like it more. Yeah, and Be- I think because that, that makes the comedy better. It's like Atlanta. Yeah, you know, but. The the more so than Atlanta, you, you know they they have the link of Hiram Arai, but I kind of compare the show to Breaking Bad a little bit, yeah. Because you have this character, it's kind of like the inverse of a good guy who's becoming bad. You have a guy who's like pretty bad and is like trying his hardest to not be that and to like separate yeah. himself and, well, from that. That's that's the main thread with Breaking Bad is Walter White. He's he's the same thing. Where for most of the Breaking Bad, we're rooting for Walter because we think at his core he's good and he's being forced to do this. Yeah. It's the exact same thing with Barry. We think he it's has a choice. Well, it's his job. He needs money. I guess he's got to kill people. Really, when you think about it, that's not true at all. But he's just he's stuck in this world, you know. Yeah, and I love I love the way that this show kind of embraces its little like half hour comedy format it doesn't get as bleak as atlanta has gotten yeah the show is actually like pretty cartoonish a lot of times yeah it started the humor is also improved because it did start pretty broad well and also another thing i think uh you guys were kind of talking about this whole like 
juggling act that they were doing is it felt like, okay, this is a dramatic scene. This is a comedic scene. And it was kind of doing mm-hmm. that where right. now as the season's gone on, it's become more fluid where you don't really know where it's going. Yes. We have, and I feel like a huge credit for that goes to the guy who played uh, the character Taylor, this retired Marine who's just like a fucking <laughs> sociopathic, like yeah, just fucking, fucking crazy off moron. the walls. Yeah, yeah, moron. Yeah. So it's like those scenes are hilarious, but also extremely violent. Yeah. And dark and you don't know what the yeah. fuck is going to happen this with this dude, guy this dude just has fun being like a being a murderous murderer yeah just yeah. fucking killing everybody he doesn't want anything to do with like planning or strategy or anything methodical like how barry wants to do it yeah he just wants to go in guns blazing that you made like the perfect point which is a truly great scene you don't know it starts with one emotion and it ends with another and you have no idea how you got there yeah and that's what i think the show has really excelled at as the season's gone on another big shining point um i was pretty lukewarm on her at the beginning of the season but as it's gone on sarah goldberg has been oh, a no. huge standout I, yeah i've like, always really liked her. i i enjoyed her as an actress but i wasn't really i was just like okay she's just gonna be the love interest of this show like i guess like just kind of bland but my favorite scene of the entire season was in the most recent episode and it's just them saying i love you back and forth at each oh, other in yeah. an acting exercise and very there's Nathan so for much you. yeah, yeah, very there, yeah you. <laughs> that was my first thought but there's so much emotion in that scene just with them saying the same phrase i love you back yeah. and forth to each other and then replicating because it's all like an exercise by henry winkler and he's just like oh he's just like i love you and she's just like i love you and it's like one of those things where they kind of have to mirror each other yeah they're like having they're, a, react, they're having forth. a conversation they're having a conversation by just saying i love you and it turns into such a sad state yeah. by the yeah. end of it just well, like because I, I love you barry is actually really into her and she just hooked up with him just to fuck all she cares about is her acting career like yeah. she doesn't want any distraction yeah. from that. and she she says uh to him she's like you have some toxic masculinity stuff going on which is a f- you know it's a phrase that can be eye rolly but she's completely right like he he goes and buys her a laptop after their first fuck yeah, you yeah. Know? it's like no i'm your protector you mm-hmm. know also i love the um the little sequences of like fantasy Flash forward that Barry has. Oh, we yeah, get a, a, we get a John Ham cameo oh, in there. Oh my John god! <laughs> I wanted to talk about those scenes. They're so they're some of the best scenes in the whole series. These last two episodes are it's it's really kicking it's in the so gear. Good. Those scenes are great because they're tragic. But then with the last one that we got, with like the kids, the, yeah, the kids just disappear into thin air, and it's like, oh they're yeah, like, this is you're gonna be late for school, and they're like, okay, and, and then they, they like hit a button on their watch and like disappear. Yeah, exactly. No, it's like a belt. Yeah, they yeah. Just, they teleport, and that that is exactly what the show's about. It's this tragic scene, but then it's also you're like, oh yeah, this is funny because it's in his imagination, and he's just imagining stupid shit. You know, <laughs> it that was that was another one of those scenes where you don't know where it's gonna go. And the show I always talk about when I'm talking about transcendent scenes is transparent. Yeah. where you just have to take you on a ride. It, yeah, it just takes you, you just follow it and you're like, I trust you. The last two episodes of the show, I have a lot better of a feel of what we're going to get and I really appreciate that. Also, the uh, the Chechens have grown on me a lot. Yeah. The, they're, I uh, love the Chechens. They're, yeah. they're yes. like kind of wacky, like strange sensibility. They're, they're, again, they play into the, the whole cartoonish side mm-hmm. of this show. They're, they're really over the top 
and the acting is is really working for me in these last couple episodes. I think they're doing I'm, a great job. Yeah, I'm digging it. They're comic relief, but then also they'll have the most brutally violent, yeah, like the, yeah. the teeth sawing scene, oh, which God, is the so brutal. Yeah, um, yeah, I like them as comic relief. They have a good dynamic with the two main guys. We get the bald guy, and then kind of like the Godfather type guy, mm-hmm. who's more of a stoic guy, and then this bald guy who's just so zany and all over the place <laughs> and i feel like the two of them have a great dynamic it's, that works it's together good. yeah and well the, and then the third guy who's just like a fucking weirdo yeah which <laughs> i i love how that they kind of these storylines that we're seeing try, start to kind of tie in together at the end of the last episode with henry winkler and the detectives uh like love storyline yeah, which what is I, I wanted fucking to, great i wanted <laughs> to talk about that because that relationship at first i thought was shitty but it's given us a window into we finally got some human emotion out of these cops instead mm-hmm. of just being the most broad characters ever. Where like now we understand d- discussing this relationship has given us some insight into the dynamic of this uh, police chief and like her boss, yeah. you know, and then all the others because like she can't let this case go. And Henry Winkler says, well, maybe you just don't want to like let our relationship flourish. So, you you know, you can't let the case go. So then she finally lets it go so she can be with this guy. And right after that, she like it's undeniable now that the acting class is intertwined with this case. And yeah, because so you have be, the, you have the Chechen like yeah. show up at the exactly class. And this this uh, schlubby cop guy who I, I didn't like him at first because of how over the top his look is of just mm-hmm. like oh I'm just down on my look cop. <laughs> yeah. He there was a truly great conversation where like he figures out that they're t- she's with Henry Winkler and he's like is it over and she's crying. And she's like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, it's over. Mm-hmm. Like, that was a beautiful scene that gave us... Now, th- they're characters now. All the characters that I didn't think were characters are becoming characters, yeah. which is... Which is the best part about these last couple episodes, yeah. that the show is finally finding itself and flourishing yeah, it's how like, it should. It reminds me kind of of American Vandal, where I would be cynical and I'd be like, that's not really a person. And then they would have an episode about that person. And you're like, oh, that's a person. Yeah. Like, it's it's really doing well. This show is... is I do, I do want good. to shout out the, the raid sequence because, you know, how many times have we seen this sequence in any show mm-hmm. where you have these guys going in with their fucking guns and they're going to kill some bad guys? Like, we see that all the time. But we've never seen it done directed by Hiro Murai. Mm -hmm. And the way he does it is really effective because, first of all, we get, we finally see Barry doing his thing. Mm-hmm. I don't think they've ever shown him. We, we've seen we him. The only the- thing is in the first episode where you see him, he's just like, fuck, now I gotta kill these guys. And he's like, doo, 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 yeah, doo. and then he strangles and then he strangles the guy in the he backyard. He strangles the guy, well. and then we've seen him like hold a, a sniper rifle, like doing some recon. Yeah. But in this episode, he's full on like in mercenary mode. Yeah. And, and then the other, and then Taylor is just goes fucking batshit. Yeah, but the first room that they raid they're, the dudes are just hanging out watching yeah. TV. They're not doing anything. It, it's kind of like this this interesting just, juxtaposition of what you expect the scene to play yeah, out. Because that is that is how it goes in like you know criminal raids. They're yeah. just like constantly like yeah, out not, on patrol. Yeah, they're not just like, ready. They, yeah. <laughs> they're not sitting with their guns. They're just chilling in this stash house. And they just they, there's a beat of them just kind of looking at them. Yeah, and then boom, they get murdered. It's, yeah, it was that was really well executed. There are two great turns in that. Like the first where you think oh Taylor's dead, and then Bill Hader gets knocked out, and Taylor does. Everything, yeah. yeah, and then he wakes up, 
and you think Bill Hader's going to kill Taylor, and he doesn't, yeah. which yeah. is another great thing. The end of that episode is beautiful. I, I loved how that whole sequence is shot from the perspective of Barry, and earlier in the episode, we have this whole discussion of like, well, if you kill people outside of war, then that makes you, like, that makes you a bad person. And so you can kind of see this excellent acting by Bill Hader where he's kind of running through this in his head when he's like going in there about to just like kill a bunch of people and Taylor's like come on man hurry up like let's go and you just kind of see that like just extreme reservation on him and it's while he is like kind of having this inner struggle that he gets knocked out because you can't just be having this inner struggle in the middle of yeah. a fucking raid. <laughs> it was it was really well done. And then the next episode does a good job of playing from there with Taylor being... He's in the gang now, and it's so funny watching Bill try to make it yeah. work. Yeah, yeah. like the minutia, <laughs> the minutia of him trying to handle this in a professional way. And just and be he like, just hey goes man, over like, there, and he's really just like watching porn casually <laughs> on his TV and But shit. Even, even when they're, they're just talking, he's like, man, like, really good, really good thoughts. Like, I, I appreciate... <laughs> Appreciate the yeah, the great, ba- great feedback, the feedback, and uh, you know we're we're gonna keep this dialogue going. I I, I think you've got some some great yeah. uh, great thoughts, but he's just really trying to to either push Taylor away from doing more stupid shit or just use Taylor as a way well, for him to back out. He just, of even yeah, he he did mention that, but more than anything, I think Barry is more viable of a good man than Walter White ever was because of how he talks in those conversations. Yeah. And just the entire fact that he he's trying so hard to make this work because if anything goes wrong, he has to kill Taylor. Yeah. And if Taylor tells tells anyone else, which he does, he has to kill those guys. And also we have the whole like dynamic where Fuchs is telling uh, Barry like, hey, you got to kill Taylor. And Taylor's like, hey, Barry, you got to kill Fuchs. <laughs> hey, yo, yeah, are we going to have you killed Fuchs? I want to kill some Bolivians. Like, yeah. Those voicemails are always funny. Yeah. This this show is getting a lot better. Yeah, and then it all culminates in this airstrip sequence where you, you know they they had looked at it before and Taylor was like, oh, we should shoot it down. I got a guy who's got a really good rocket launcher. And just shoot the plane down. And Barry's like, no, we should camp out on this hill and I can snipe them from afar. And Barry gets picked up by Taylor and and the guys and he kind of puts it in his mind together that they're like heading there and he tells his friend the guy yeah, that, he's who like, has out of the car he has a kid yeah this yeah. dude has a kid and he's like yo like yo, get out of the fucking you need car to go right now and i that scene was another one where it's like like i couldn't have guessed that it was just gonna be the guy's just gonna be like no like yeah th- i really thought something was gonna happen <laughs> yeah, from there like, and he's, he's like, like no it's cool soft. yeah i'm not gonna yeah. get out like that <laughs> the writing of the show is getting a lot better yeah mm-hmm. and they're racing towards this plane that has already landed <laughs> the guys are already like yeah they're 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 driving in with like music blasting yeah it's metal like they they're roid raging basically yeah. and they bump they rush in and the cliffhanger is incredible which i mean we've already spoiled everything so i mean that cliffhanger whatever. the cliffhanger is crazy good is fucking amazing yeah this it's is an original thought i have i think it's better than infinity war that's what i said oh uh, no that's my thought I, I, that's my original guys thought. i have a thought for you i think that this is better than infinity war whoa <laughs> okay um but yeah let's that's that's enough about Barry. so but we, we're have, we have two more episodes left because yeah. it's eight episodes and Ari was renewed for season two we should great say. awesome yeah i'm so yeah. excited and for at it. this point like like i said we we started this at least i did because i'm a huge massive bill Hader fan but this show is uh transcended bill Hader. at this point it's just a good tv show yeah, yeah. It's, i mean it's, shout out to henry winkler i mean he just he he's, really does he's just a make legend everything better he's genuinely like, a legend he can do dramatic acting and as him we saw playing recently. a legendary actor in this <laughs> a 
yeah, quote not, unquote legendary yeah, but actor, but he's never I, really done I anything love, out of I note. love some scenes in this show. Like you're kind of getting a little bit of an acting lesson from Henry yeah. Winkler. Like you're literally kind of learning from yeah. him. It's great. Like, uh, awesome. I mean, a few episodes ago, we had the soup episode where there's like kind of like, it's just like visualize you're walking through the grocery store and like the soup that you see. It's like, it's very much like you are taking a peek into what an acting class yeah. is. Yeah. So. And another thing is um, Henry Winkler, he was recently on The Watch. He was interviewed with Bill Hader. Did you guys listen to that? Yeah, most of um, it. Well, he talks about how. Post uh, post Happy Days, he was the king of the world on Happy Days, and after that, he was off the grid. So he, this is a character he can sink his teeth into, I'm sure, just because it's like this could have been him if things really went wrong. Mm-hmm. Like he could have just gone like farther down and ended up where this guy is. Yeah, I um, think uh, hopefully more people recognize his genius. And you know, we have Arrested Development season five coming out, so hopefully yeah, he has this. I mean, everybody likes him. That. Everyone sees him and they're like, hey, that guy. Yeah. Like he's great. And I, I, I'm excited for these last couple episodes because like you said, the, the storylines are starting to intertwine. So we have the Chechens come in with the acting class and it's all gonna collide and I hope it's I satisfying. Do, I do really hope though that um, I mean, I'm glad that they got season two, but of course they didn't know they were going to get season two whenever they shot this film. So I hope that things don't wrap up too neat and tidy. Um, I'm hoping that they do leave some ends yeah. open. I would be happy if Barry and Sarah Goldberg didn't end up together. Uh, I don't think that's I hope happen. that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I kind of hope that they don't end up together. I hope that, like, he has to come to this realization that, yeah, that was just what, like, a fling is. And that doesn't mean that you're, like, hopelessly in love and going to have babies yeah. together now. Yeah, exactly. Um Okay, All right, that's Barry on HBO. Now, speaking of SNL in the late 2000s, early 2010s, John Mulaney. <laughs> <laughs> <That was so>. <laughs> um, <laughs> brain blast. Yeah, no, we have a um, new... T- the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> yeah, we have a new hour-long special on Netflix from my man, my boy, John Mulaney. Uh, this is third one released on Netflix, his fourth overall, and... I gotta tell you, I was shockingly impressed by this. I, overall, I wouldn't say I was shocked by this because oh, I, I wasn't. Sh- I think Mulaney is the best stand-up comic working right now. I know comedy is the most subjective thing in the yeah, world. He is. But- see, it's it's uh it's almost objective to say he's the best uh, writer of any comedian working today. He's yeah. he's the best joke writer where everything is just. Uh, I was listening to an interview with a girl who wrote a really good piece on Laney. She said it perfectly. You could read the script of his jokes and it's just as funny that because was the, he doesn't uh, depend on delivery. That was the um, the Ringer piece, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think Allison Herman wrote that. Yeah. Yeah, great, and, great piece. And that's, yeah, that's the best way of putting it. His jokes are perfectly crafted. They are, they are incredible. And in this special, and it's stories. Yeah, so that ex- storytelling. He does a lot of stories. Yeah, his a lot of his material is observational. But the thing that makes him way better than Seinfeld, in my opinion, is that he's capable of doing a yarn for like seven, eight minutes on the same subject. Seinfeld never ever did. Yeah, that. his whole thing was he's like not told quick, one story. Quick repetitions with his observational comedy. Yeah. Now Mulaney does the same thing where pretty much all this comedy is just observational it's poking fun at things that we all experience in yeah. our lives and never think to question yeah, but, but his runs are unparalleled like they're so so good one thing that i really noticed about this special is that he's really perfecting his craft at um where even with um with new in town and even a little bit with comeback kid it kind of felt like 
all separate anecdotes from each other. Yeah. But with this most recent special, he's found a way to kind of stream through everything where he'll be starting with an anecdote, which leads to a tangent, and that tangent leads into the next anecdote. And it's yeah. all very seamless. He, and flows much better. Yeah, he is. He's getting better at yarning it. I was The thing I was shocked at is that he somehow did get tighter at writing jokes, which is almost impossible because that's the one thing he's the best at, and he got even better. Um, but the things that he improved more so at um, are, well, it, it makes sense because this special was directed by Alex Timbers. He's the guy who directed Oh Hello on Broadway. Nice. And he's like, he's a very notable Broadway director. So this is this has the feel of that where he... Mulaney was obviously getting a lot of help with movements in this special. He every single movement is down to a T. It's not just like, oh, I guess I'll just you know do something funny with my hands here. It's like everything is like perfectly planned out for this special. And I can that can kind of rub some people the wrong way. The trend that we do have in stand up right now, and kind of always have had, is a casualness to it. Um, and Mulaney's super super like old fashioned in that he is prepared like Billy Crystal, except Billy Crystal's not funny. Um, and he's putting on a performance. Yeah, he's prepared, yeah. and he yeah he has everything planned out to a T. He's not one of those guys. He's not very confessional. He's not going to tell you everything about himself, and he's not uh, very like off the top. He likes. I think they even say it in the the interview. He likes having a loaded gun. He likes having jokes on deck. Yeah, I mean, and I think that he, while he isn't the classic Mark Marin, Louis C.K. type, or and so many others nowadays that are very confessional with their comedy. He actually kind of opens up a lot more in this special than he yeah. ever has before. He, like Millennia's talked separately about how he had like he was uh, had a really big coke problem like ten years ago or yeah. so, and yeah, he, he even kind of talks about it. he's just like he goes on this whole riff about how college is a waste of fucking time, and he's just like I'm out there in the sun sweating ecstasy and vodka, and yeah. I was smoking crack the day before my fucking graduation. Yeah. He, and, so he does open up more, and it's with Millennia, it's you know it's baby steps in that regard. He he does because like in the past he hasn't been personal at all and so there is a personal element that's really good in this the thing is he can never be a hundred percent like those guys a just because it's not him and b because if he really opens up about his life he's gonna lose plenty of people because he grew up rich he's always he got the dream job at age 25 he's never had like he's never had a life that's relatable he's not that's not what he is he he's portrays himself as relatable because he doesn't reveal so much about himself but if he's like it's yeah part of the act so i'm growing up in my penthouse in chicago like no <laughs> yeah it doesn't um but yeah this this special is to a t i think it's head and shoulders better than um the comeback kid his previous special which was coming right after his sitcom mulaney just crashed and burned into the ground mm. um and it's it's better than that because a they're almost like in in the comeback kid and just generally he does have some bits that are like you know 30 seconds or a minute then he moves on this is just almost all stories and if not stories just bits on one thing yeah like he really it's like a series of like eight minute bits and that's really impressive to do it's hard to do that um but i just think generally this is his most polished product in general it's performed at radio city music hall which is a massive venue. I didn't think it was that big of a deal, but performing comedy to that many people is tricky. It's so hard. Like Aziz doing Madison Square Garden was pretty funny, but you could tell he was kind of hurting from the size of the audience. Yeah. Like it's hard. 
to wrangle up that many people and make them have the exact same reaction. And that's why he had to have all his movements. He has very broad stage movement in the yeah. special. He's always moving around. He's always projecting to the back. Like, And it's not... It doesn't seem too try hard, mm. even though he's doing that. Like it seems decently natural. Um, and I was just, I was kind of blown away. Like I'm not gonna, Ernie hasn't seen it, so I'm not gonna talk about any of the bits in particular. But it's, it's kind of stunning that a guy who was already so good is better. Like I really thought maybe he was gonna be on the decline. Maybe he was just one of those guys that's better, like a, a wonderkin. Because mm. if you ask anyone who knows him, he's just always been a savant at joke writing since he was little. Um, but he's gotten better. He did it. And I'm, that's what surprised me. Yeah. I, I really want to get into some of the bits, but I want to save them for you since you haven't seen him, uh, seen it yet, Ernest, but there's some incredible bits and stuff that like, I like remember like things being taught to me in school as a kid that he talks about in a way that it, it, like his observational comedy is so spot on and he's so excellent at kind of like, poking at what exactly is so wild about like this very like mundane and what's considered to just be yeah. like a regular thing that just like oh yeah all kids kind of have to sit through these things during assemblies yeah. and you're just like wait what the fuck like yeah, what that are you was, teaching us it's, like it's really and that's his main window into being relatable is he's so good at talking about childhood like he he's one of those guys that just had like a sharp memory from a very young age and he the way he breaks down just like the most insignificant seeming events and you're like, yeah, that is you're it's exactly like you said. Like you're just like, what wait. I yeah. actually I, I've never done it before, but I did like a full letterbox review for oh. uh, for it because I've I've never done it for a comedy special before, but there was just something that was just so great about this uh thing. And just like one of the things that I put on here was just like that uh John Mulaney's wisdom and observance of the seemingly mundane or peculiar is on full display in the special and boy oh boy does Mulaney relish in the mundane and peculiar. Peculiar. Ooh la la. Yeah, nice. I, I like to quote myself. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, don't quote me, but I can quote myself. Yeah, okay. um, I'm really excited to check this out. I, I love Mulaney. I just didn't have dude the, the, the time to watch it this week. I, but. Yeah, I've been the biggest Mulaney stand since high school. Like, and this it's probably definitely his best special. I'm always partial to New in Town because that's the special that I saw someone that I could relate to for the first time. It's you know comics are usually just like so I hate my wife. Yeah, and it's just like that sucks. I mean. New in Town and Comeback Kid are one of those things like Mulaney. I can rewatch his comedy specials unlike anybody yeah. else. Well, I've already watched Comeback Kid or uh, not Comeback Kid. I've already watched uh, this one, Kid Gorgeous, yeah. two and a half times yeah, already. It, like it's very rewatchable and like the bits get stuck hour, in your head. Right? He creates these characters. Like he brings back like his father character and his wife yeah, who yeah. he's brought up before, but they're very much characters. Well, there's on, they has on stage. Yeah, he, yeah, they're definitely not full like. There's not who it's they not are, confessional. It's but not, he even does like one little thing. It's not even really like a whole bit where he's like talking about it. his wife's just like he asks his wife like, "Can I make fun of you on stage?" And she's just like, <laughs> "Yeah, but just like don't say that like." Uh, like I'm a bitch and you don't like me and he's just like what the fuck kind of a show would that be if I'm just yeah. like yeah my wife's a fucking bitch and I hate her yeah. like I this, mean that's very normy like yeah it's like it's like broad. what Louis was when he yeah. was married yeah um but. The reason that these are probably the most rewatchable comedy specials are their density, and that's more than anything. You speaks, get lost. It, in it speaks to his writing. There, within like a minute, you'll get like ten fucking jokes. It's mm. it's unlike any other comedian working. Like I love Bill Burr. He's probably my second favorite comedian, and he's very like he talks insanely fast, but he can't even hold a candle to the density of the writing of Mulaney. Like, and he's still so young. Like yeah, it's exactly. So exciting. He's that- like thirty five, and he's already 
probably, like you said, he's probably the best working stand-up. There are people who were better in their peaks, but right. they're yeah. not they're not as good anymore. Yeah, but uh, as far as people who are making specials right yeah, now, I think that he is far and away the best. Exactly. He's got the torch. It's going to rub some uh, brand of comedy the wrong way, the kind of comedy that, you know, oh, I'm just wearing a t-shirt and uh, I'm smoking cigarettes. Yeah, he's like very old school in that he wears a suit yeah, he like, wears up suits. on stage. Like I said, he's performing like, at Radio City Music Hall. Like yeah. it's very old school, you, but oh, in yeah, a this, great way. Another thing that you never yeah. ever compliment, but I needed to compliment is the set design. Yo, it's this. fucking gorgeous. Wow. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. so beautiful. The, it's yeah, that and uh Chris Rock's newest special, which was uh, directed Burnham. by Bo Burnham, they have the best set design I've ever seen in stand-up specials. It is it's really, really beautiful. Uh, I was going to ask, do you guys think that Mulaney is just, because he already tried to do a TV show and it didn't work, yeah. that he's just going to stick to this and like just become really, really good at this? I hope for... so, because this is what he's best at. Yeah, the, this is what the um, the article focused on a lot. He's not going to try to make him. a movie he, or anything? I mean, he, he might. He definitely may. He has the connections probably to get a movie deal done. Um, but he is truly, like, it's an old-fashioned thing to say that stand-up is the end. It, like it's not it's it's usually been a means this is what's talked about in the article yeah. a lot um and it's just talked about in general a lot usually stand-up is the thing that gets you seinfeld and the, you right. know the show but with him it's just it like if you just keep doing stand-up you just get better and better yeah like, but i'm i'm thinking of other young stand-ups like bo burnham yeah, Bo's, or Bo's or, gonna um, do movies or even aziz like those guys are past stand-up at this yeah point. and kumail and Kumail yeah. too. Kumail yeah. never even had a famous stand-up special, and no. he's already moving on. Basically, exactly. so the, all these young guys, like they're they're not seeing themselves as stand-up comedians. Like Bo Burnham would never describe himself yeah, as yeah, a stand-up yeah. comedian. The thing with Mulaney is he has such a signature look and voice that I don't think I would buy him as anyone else. Yeah, I, I also like. I would rather. I mean, I'd love to see anything that Mulaney does, but. I would rather him just continue to do stand up and perfect his craft and just work at being just truly like exactly. one of the great stand ups. It really is. It's like how good can you get? Yeah. Like the the level of precision with this special, I've never seen anything like it. It's, unless I'm watching old like really old school like Don Rickles type people. Mm. Like it's it has that level of like craft and yeah. it's it's incredible. All right. Well, I guess I will have to check it out and get back to you guys next week. I'll I'll definitely watch it this week. Um, but we have one more thing to talk about before we wrap up, and that's Westworld. <laughs> so again, we uh, we record the day the episode comes out, but hours before. So you are by the time you listen to this, the new episode will be out, but we haven't seen it yet. So we're playing a little bit of catch-up. Should really up. Like change our recording date or something like that to talk about the biggest show that's on TV yeah, right yeah. now. Yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah. We'll know. have to figure that out. <laughs> but we're going to talk about last week's episode, Reunion. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really think that this show is not going to really ever care to address the criticisms that are being thrown at it. It's, it's not a show that's concerned with course correcting. It's doing a very specific thing, and it's just going to go straight for that. Yeah. It's not a show that is about characters or, like, really intimate human connection. It's a show about, like, big ideas and mysteries and puzzles and discussion and having a uh, 
kind of group mentality at breaking down exactly yeah. what the hell and, is going on. And I'm fine with that. It's I don't, what, it, yeah, I, it's, what I, it's trying to I do. I mean, I'd rather it just and, be its own yeah, thing. Yeah, I don't want Westworld to, yeah. to change. Like, I think the polar opposite show to Westworld, which I previously mentioned, is Transparent. Because Transparent is entirely about the character relationships and the emotions and who these people are. And what's happening is pretty minimal, like right. almost nothing at all. This is the opposite of that. What's happening is the biggest thing imaginable. And so how are you going to also and it's focus like, on these people? And it's trying to get the audience to think about what could be happening or could not be happening and really getting you to pay attention to the little things and really make you work. Like This, the, yeah. this episode in particular jumps around so much in time that you're just like really your gears and your brain start turning just to keep track of like what when exactly this is happening so you're not you're not really connecting to the people in the scene as characters you're, you're just, just trying yeah you're just trying to see like okay how does this relate to that other thing that happened that was 30 years in the future yeah. which i do think is kind of a criticism of the show that i have with it is that i don't really care as much about the characters and i don't necessarily know how that can be fixed in this kind of a show whenever you're doing something like this i um, i do think that this uh, episode was a good bit better than the first episode of season two. It was really different. It was really different. This, um, I mean, it was different than any other. There episode. were there were two specific scenes in uh, this most recent episode of Westworld, which were so haunting and beautiful. The first one was uh, in the distant past whenever we have uh, Delos first trying to meet with them about Westworld. And this whole moment where they're like together and they're like, this is your private demonstration. And he's just kind of sitting there trying to walk around see like, oh, okay, who's who's the robot here? Oh my God, you're the robot. And then everybody we're, else... We're spoiling, the by the way. Uh, so we're spoiling. Okay. Now, now you can, now you can <laughs> Yeah, say. guess what? There's robots in Westworld, okay? like I mean, if you haven't seen Westworld, thing. like... Yeah, we're just going to get Don't right even listen it. to it. So. I mean, the it, show is so plot heavy we have to spoil that's, yeah. that I mean that's not even really that wasn't even as much of a spoiler as the second thing that I'm going to mention which is we get a very very brief cameo from Giancarlo uh, Esposito, Esposito. Yeah. oh yeah, yeah that was spring. I got so excited when I saw him and then so bummed out when he killed himself <laughs> fucking 30 scene, seconds later that but that scene was so fucking so, cool so good it was we were following uh, Ed Harris trying to like you know find what everyone else is trying to find in this west world trying to like go on his quest uh and he he comes upon this town and he's trying to convince them to like come with him right well he he, he wants says, an army yeah he says that he needs yeah. help to reach yeah exactly whatever that the the mechanics of how that scene worked i fucking love because i was like this is a little corny and then Westworld is so it's so good at being unpredictable like mm -hmm. that when they all turn their guns on themselves it was beautiful. It was so, so Just good. Just so well choreographed, too. Yeah. You see them all shoot themselves and then all hit the ground at the exact it, same yes. time in this overhead And then shot. Ed Harris says exactly what we're thinking as viewers, like, fuck you, Ford. Yeah, yeah, yeah like, exactly. You know, you know that that yeah. was Ford. Because at that point, uh, Giancarlo Esposito just says, like, this game is meant for you and you alone. Mm -hmm. And then they all just fucking off themselves. Yeah, so at, at this point, it's, it's pretty um, sure, like, we're sure that... Ed Harris and uh, Dolores are heading for the same location, right? Yeah. Because it's, it's set up with the flashbacks yeah. that young William is showing Dolores some... It's, but he's she building calls it a yeah. weapon. Yeah, yeah. But, but, but it's not a traditional we see, weapon. We see a town. <laughs> yeah, it's not a traditional we weapon. We look down the valley and we see um, it's this little town. So the main thing that makes this episode special 
is that it gives us a glimpse of the outside world. Yeah, mainly yeah. some Chinese city. Yeah, it's definitely in, in like China, but it, it is a flashback um, to many years before when they're trying to basically get funding for Westworld yeah, they're talking from to, Delos. Yeah, they're talking yeah. to Delos. Um, and so we see, uh, you know, young Bernard, which is just Bernard as we know Arnold. him. Cause, Arnold. Yeah, yeah, we see Arnold and he is even back then still infatuated with Dolores. Yeah. Um, and we get her seeing like the big city and this and it, his house that he's building. Yeah, And it gives, it gave me a lot more appreciation for what her arc is now. Cause now we know how much she remembers. She's seen it. She remembers it all. One of the things that's really like, it's so chilling about that scene is you see it wherever she first like comes awake. She's like, it looks like all the stars in the sky have been scattered on the ground. And then they like say something there's like oh no her like ability to uh improvise like her her improvisation isn't ready and then she repeats the same line again yeah, it's yeah. so sad because you think that they're having this real heart-to-heart moment and then you realize you remember like oh yeah, yeah she's still just it's like robot. she has alzheimer's yeah. yeah but uh that's that i it really made me appreciate her arc and then it got me thinking well i should have appreciated it anyway because she re- also remembers getting raped and murdered repeatedly um, by the by, William, yeah, mainly, yeah, by William, and just, I'm sure plenty of other motherfuckers Jesus. who are gross. Um, but yeah, so we got to see that past, and then we got to see the her other. It was all, essentially a flashback episode, like because then we get to see her being adjacent to uh, old school William, convincing um, that you know the shitty evil brother-in-law's dad, who is the head of Delos, Mister Delos to invest in Westworld. Yeah, and Mr. Mr. Delos, he kind of sets up this mystery that's being reiterated about the park just being a method to harvest people's gen- genetic data. Yeah, like, like they're not this incredible technology isn't being wasted on a theme park. Yeah, exactly. There's a whole another ulterior motive to all of this that Delos is really yeah that that's what they actually are yeah. in the business of yeah and so we find that William is the one who really convinced this yeah. entire thing to happen um I want to get into one of the main theories that reddit has been reddit kind of uncovered this past week yeah and I think this one which might be the one I think that this is too we've kind of talked about it a little bit off air and there is one specific scene in this recent episode which really kind of leads into that theory um so if you don't want to be possibly spoiled for future episodes again we're theorizing here but it really feels like this is where it's going to is we have Dolores uh basically kind of going into this morgue area where they are fixing up the bodies and you can assume they're harvesting out the brains of these uh, hosts. So it's kind of opened up this idea that these hosts could switch brains, which is an idea which kind of leads back into the first episode of the season is why is Bernard, why is Bernard look like so fucking like confused and perplexed on the beach? Yeah. Bernard in, the theory is essentially that Bernard in the most future timeline in the present timeline, like post everything going down has become Teddy flood. Yeah. Like basically they flip yeah. the brains yeah. of Teddy and Bernard. Yeah. Um, and speaking of Teddy flood, uh, this was a good up for Teddy. This, this yeah, was, finally, this, we this see, was the first step that he was anything at all. Yeah. We see James <laughs> Marston like realize, yeah. like be awakened 
and yeah, he saw his past on a video screen, and he, he was, finally he flips out. Yeah, he finally realized what the fuck Dolores has been yammering on about this whole time. But yeah, so the main piece of evidence that I found interesting for that theory is um, pre before the season, uh, Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy did an AMA where they said, hey, if you guys want, we'll just release a, a video that will spoil everything for you guys, since you guys are so smart. And everyone's like, uh, some people were like, yeah, do it for sure. And then everyone else was like, no. Like, like what's wrong with We you? were all like, what? <laughs> um, and then they did it, and it was a joke. But was it? Because some of the footage in that was real new footage we had not seen before. Yeah, it was very chopped up and yeah. like milliseconds footage, but it's the internet. So people are going to screen cap and yeah, exactly. kind of put every all the pieces yeah. together. So, so namely, uh, the new footage that we saw most prominently was Bernarnold on the same train that Teddy Flood takes into Westworld, like at the beginning of his storyline, in the beginning of the entire show, the first scene in the whole show, when we still think he's a person. Um, And then you see Bernard in the exact same seat on the exact same train, like for a few different shots that are mirroring the shot, and then it cuts to Bernard's hands, but they are not Bernard's hands. They're a white dude's hands. Specifically James Marston's hands. They, yeah, he's got James Marston hands. Yeah, <laughs> That guy's got tell. Marston hands. <laughs> so I, I have a couple questions about this latest episode that will probably not get answered in tonight's episode, but they're mainly about like the timeline of events. So I remember in season one, we last saw Logan being uh, escorted naked on a horse into the horizon. Yeah. That was the last moment we saw him. But in this episode, it's assumed that when we see him at his father's um, retirement party, strung out on whatever future drug he's on, (laughs) that that takes place after that. Is it not? Am I am I wrong? I would no. I think that you're right because it's definitely after the two of them went to Westworld, right? Yeah. Because I mean, they like, uh, of course, uh, because they're they in Westworld and they recognize Dolores. Yeah. So it's I'm I'm kind of confused on what exactly like how he kind of got out of that situation, but it sounds like both of them came out with completely different ideas, like almost like switched views of Westworld they had going into well, it. Well, where- because we have the scene where Logan first encounters the host and then he's all like, well, might as well have a robot orgy because that's what you do. Mm-hmm. And then the events of Westworld happen, of Westworld season one happen. And then we have the scenes of him talking to Mr. De- old Mr. Delos in the park yeah. and then at the retirement party. Yeah. Am I correct in yeah, that? Yeah, no, that's right. That's okay, so... Pretty objectively right. So was the events of Westworld Season 1 so harrowing for Logan that now he's drugged? Well, he that was... He's, that he's addicted to drugs? No, essentially, we're led to believe... Maybe we'll learn more about it, but he was always kind of a fuck-up. He was just the son of a very successful man. And going into that park... It basically made William, it gave William like the, you know, beta cuck awakening that like a lot of shows like Breaking Bad has where he's like, no, I can, I can be something. And 
And I think that he also, William, is smart enough to realize that, like, hey, this kid's a fuck-up. I could really be, yeah. like, the true son yeah, and exactly. heir to this whole Yeah, movie. because all, all Logan wants to do is just fuck the robot. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're like, yeah, exactly. yeah, exactly. Logan is kind of a hedonist. He's the classic son of a rich man. And so we that's what we get. We get yeah. Logan being what he was destined to be and William becoming what Westworld made him. There is a theory. Oh, yeah, because then we get the scene with him and Dolores where he's kind of spewing this little bad guy monologue. Yeah. And he's talking about how the host awakens something in the guests. And that's the whole point of the park. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's the whole point of Dolores specifically in his experience. But um, the, the thing that I'm trying to get at is like Logan, there is a theory out there. I don't know exactly where it came from or, or I heard it, but... There's a theory that Logan is being drugged by William so that William can take control of Delos. And that that little like acting cough that Mr. Delos does, the <laughs> I'm sick, is maybe because William is poisoning him so that he can, I mean, I can ensure see his it. power. He didn't. I mean, maybe he didn't necessarily be. He kind of became evil after Westworld. He yeah. kind of did. He, he picks up the black hat. Yeah, he, he had a rise to power and he became who he hated. Um, which is good for him professionally. He, I mean, the scene where he, he basically talks down to Delos in Westworld where they're visiting. Yeah. He's like, you don't see what this potential yeah. of this place is. Wow. Okay. And Delos is like, oh shit. Yeah, like, it's like, nobody's ever fucking talked yeah. to me like that before. By the I'm way, rich. so, so the guy playing Delos, I'm not crazy about the, the dad. He's very kind of yeah. evil guy. He just, yeah, it was kind of cheesy. Very the Scottish accent man. was funny. It yeah. was just like, okay. Um, but yeah, that that's I think what we're led to believe is that Logan just went downhill and William had this awakening. And I I that theory could have some uh, weight well, to it, but also it could just be that uh, that Daddy Delos is dying and that Logan was always a fuck up. And and I mean we don't see old Logan in the future timeline. You know, once it's Ed Harris playing William, there is no old Logan. Yeah. So that I guess be. we're led to believe that he's not alive at that point. Yeah. He's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, but you guys have any other thoughts on this episode? What you got any predictions for tonight's up? It's really hard to do like episodic predictions with something like this show, just because could go we anywhere. could see a threat. Like this next episode, we could spend 20 minutes in the two weeks later plotline, which we didn't really see any of presumably with, uh, Bernard on the beach. No. So it's really hard to kind of guess on what exactly is happening um still haven't exactly seen shogun world next. yeah i'm i'm hoping that that's going to show up soon i'm hoping that it's not going to be like a episode um, eight thing where we finally get there we did see another thing about this episode is we see dolores and uh tandy newton uh meet yeah for the first time very brief encounter yeah oh, but it was very cool just like well you know if you're all about free will then you're gonna give us the free will to pass there's our own thing there's a think piece out there that uh, some journalist and I think other people are glomming onto this theory think that that conversation was a takedown of white feminism. They think that like what? yeah, Dolores represented white feminism, and then obviously Danny Newton was like feminism for everyone else. Oh, uh, okay. Which I don't know. I, really, like look watching this so. scene objectively, it was definitely not like it wasn't a definite thing. It was ambiguous. You can interpret it that way. And that's like, that's cool. But I don't think that it was like, yeah, it's not what they were thinking. I don't think it's a hundred percent thing. I don't know. I just think that Dolores as a character can always be interpreted as a very feminist character because yeah, all she wants to do is break free of like what essentially is the patriarchy yeah. of like, you know, 
women and, and hosts yeah, being and that's, subjected to well that's yeah that's what the theory things. is that she's representing the white community of like oh well i'm gonna break free in this way and you should break free in this way too because like i'm right and, yeah. and then tanny newton's like well what if i want to break free in a different way mm. um so you know there's way to it it could be true but there's it's not conclusive i did like how their meeting was just very peaceful very yeah. passive it wasn't like they there's gonna be this big showdown between yeah. these two and it characters. was also it was also profound like they there were some great lines in that scene where she's like she's like you're gonna just let them you know you're gonna let them do this to us you're just gonna like roam freely and she's like well i mean getting revenge is just another form of being a slave to someone yeah. like mm-hmm. have taking up all your headspace is being taken up by them still you know what i mean like it was a really interesting scene they're both about the same level of of awake i think both uh, of them have all their well, dials turned yeah up. isn't <laughs> isn't tandy newton smarter though because she turned up all her dials but i specifically think, i think i uh, think that the wyatt character though is known for being like the most powerful person yeah. in the game so and we know that at this point dolores has full knowledge of like the inner workings because she led her team down into yeah so maybe she picked up the monitor thing and like jacked yeah. it up how i am kind of confused on exactly that storyline too that they were like they together in westworld up. yeah and then but they're also like i'm curious where those exact where these dolores timelines are with each other i don't know well well we saw it we saw her last in the first episode when she was uh noosing up those guests and then she has that nice moment with uh uh james marston mm-hmm. kind of monologuing her plan and that's the last we see her. And then in the second episode, we see her walking in guns blazing in into the, the real world. Into, yeah. the, so, into the underground yeah. that, area. That scene kind of pissed me off because it starts, it was it was just a little lazy writing where it starts with the guys being like, man, 13 hour shift. This is weird. Yeah. You have no other connection. <laughs> yeah. you, have, you don't have a fucking monitor that says, hey, get out. Or, yeah. yeah. Like, like, the robots you are have rebelling. such advanced yeah. technology and you don't have like a buzzer for somebody yeah, to exactly. hit like, hey, emergency. Uh. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, that was kind of funny. But um, as far as the next episode goes, you're right. I don't really like. I don't. I don't really know how to predict this show, man. It always. Yeah, it I, could be anything. I marvel. I delight in figure like watching where the show is going. Because you never say know. that you Infinity War, what this show is doing. Uh, what? <laughs> you said you marvel. Oh. Okay. Well, I guess it's time to wrap it up. <laughs> Uh, that was good, goddammit. You can uh, you can follow us on Twitter at We Bought a Mic and Facebook and Instagram at We Bought a Mic. Send us your questions, comments, feedback. Let us know what you thought about all the things we talked about. Uh, next week, we got what? I think we're going to try to see Tully. I'll catch Tully, up on I the I want to see uh, You Were Never Really Here. Yeah. Um, so we'll have we'll have some stuff coming for you. Yeah, it's the I last actually, ep of Atlanta, too. I might uh, be seeing a screener for Deadpool next week. So <gasps> maybe Ooh, I can la, give la. my very uh, brief spoiler-free thoughts on that. Okay. So I hope Rob Delaney is I'm a fucking big shot now and I get screeners God waitlisted. This guy fucks. Waitlisted for screeners. Yeah, you don't now. actually have the screener <laughs> yeah. yet. Not yet, but I, I might be getting a screener. All right, well, where can we find you online? Um, I'm on Twitter at Hunt Mobley. Um, also on Letterboxd at the same name. Been posting some more reviews on there. Post a big review for uh, John Mulaney's newest special and for Ghost Stories. Nice. So, yeah, check it out. Um... I'm at um, Twitter at Drew Dietzen. I'm on Instagram at Drew Dietzen. I'm on Facebook at Drew Dietzen. I'm on Spotify at Drew Dietzen. I'm at Letterboxd at Drew D. 
Drew Dietz. Why, I didn't, just, why didn't you just make that Drew Dietz? Yeah, just make it all the same I shit. I should have streamlined, but I was just like, oh shit. Like, Oh, I can do Drew D? Less I'm Drewed. It's less characters <laughs> to write. You know? I've been Drewed. Uh, and I am at Calderonist on all those social interweb outlets, including Letterboxd. Been posting a lot on there. Uh, yeah. All right. Good up, guys. I think yeah. we're all wrapped up here. Um, see you next week. Ooh. Bye. This what a summer bop this is. So lighthearted. We bop 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 We just want to party. Party just go. We just want the money. Money just go. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Look how I'm living now. Police be tripping now. Yeah, this is America.